And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 23. And me. Get your Not DNA. sponsored. <laughs> Get your DNA done and catch a murderer. Just kidding. Instead of to catch a predator, it, well, no, it could still be that. Catch a predator, catch a murderer. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. I actually don't, I wouldn't do it, I don't think. No, hell no, I wouldn't. Especially in the group, Valerie and all of them, they're like, no, I feel like government's yes. taking data and keeping yes. it. And all, I'm like, mm-mm, never mm-mm, mind. Mm-mm. Don't have my shit for when it comes Handmaid's Tale. Yes. Nope. I know. Like, the conspiracy theorist in me is like, um, they're making databases of yes. everyone's data, everyone's DNA, everyone's everything, and they're going to start making like a, I don't know, like a, what's the thing called? Like, the... the like super race, you know, oh, yeah. like combine us all the best of everything and make like a super race, you know? Yeah. I don't know. This is like you said, an episode of Handmaid's Tale waiting to happen. Yeah. Also, though, if the government really wanted to do that, they just give it to us free. And, you know, if it's free, it's for me. I'd be like, well, it's free. I mean, I may as well. I mean, I will say, though, I have a family member that's quite the conspiracy theorist. Very, very right winged. And one time she said something about, like, all the quizzes that we take on Facebook and stuff. And she was like, yeah, y'all just keep taking those quizzes to find out which Disney princess you are. (laughs) Meanwhile, they're getting all your fucking information. Damn. All your likes, all your dislikes, all your your birthday, your eye color, your blah, blah, blah. They're getting all this stuff from you that you answer. Fuck. And I I was like, mind blown. Like, I was like, damn. Because, you know, there's a part of me that's like, is this, this is real, you know? I know. But then, of and course, I want to know what it, I look like as the opposite sex. I mean, I'm or pretty an old dude. person. Yes. Yeah. Like, I have to know. Or if I was a model, I have to see what I would look like on the cover of a magazine. Sidebar. Ocean. That reminded me because when you said, like, it made me think of Snapchat filters. Oh, yeah. There's a new thing. Like, you know how there's body dysmorphia? Uh-huh. There's a new thing called Snapchat dysmorphia. Really? Where people, I, that's not exactly what it is, but it's like body dysmorphia and like Snapchat or filter or something like that combined to make a word. Okay. And Robin Mead told me about it on Headline News. <laughs> and so people are like taking their Snapchat filtered faces to plastic surgeons and being like, make me look like this. Holy fuck. Yeah. And so they're like, Kind of playing devil's advocate, being like, well, I mean, at least they're wanting to look still like themselves, just, you know, versus taking, like, yeah. an unattainable, like, actress. But on the other hand, it's still... Uh, it's a filter. Yeah. Yeah, I it's mean, still not attainable. Your eyes are bigger. Your skin's clearer. Your nose is smaller. Your lips are bigger. Your eyelashes are longer. You know. I mean, you're a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, that's the only filter that stayed around this whole freaking time. Oh, my God. That was great. Meanwhile, I'm so self-deprecating that I like the ones that make you look really old or, like, the really ugly faces. You know, um, those are my favorite. My favorite is the one that has a big mouth and your eyes are kind of, like, big. It's an oldie but a goodie now. Like, there's a girl who does it on. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. She's the one that's like, yeah, I can't think of her name, but she's got the Facebook thing where she says, like, 
all the shit in that filter right. thing. That's my favorite one just because, I don't know. Like, I just love it. But, yeah. So, sorry. That was like a squirrel Beow. tangent, but it made me think of it when you were saying that about that. Yeah. That's funny. I'm telling you, I learned a lot watching Headline News while I get dressed. Except for this morning I turned on the TV. And, like, every so often when I turn it on, the satellite, like, has to reboot to yeah. connect in, you know. And it was just, like, spinning and spinning and spinning. I was like, well, I'm running late anyway. Forget <laughs> it. Well, after my mama passed... Her favorite thing was headline news. Yes. Like, she got you started on Robin mm-hmm. Mead. Robin um, and I are friends because of Patty Joe. <laughs> well, I, her, the TV would turn on and it would be, like, I would turn it on and it would be on headline news. And I don't watch headline news. Right. But it still does that. Which is weird because it doesn't always do it. And it's not like it's like, mm-hmm. you know, like. Some cha- some TVs, like, no matter what channel you had it on, it'll always go back to, like, channel two. Yeah. there's no channel one, you know? Like, back in the day when it was just, like, yeah. regular cable, you'd turn your TV on, at a, like, at a hotel. Yeah. But it's not like that. And I'm just like, well, Mama needed the TV, I guess. Mama uh, missed old Robin. Yeah. It's so weird. I mean, it still freaks me out a little bit if it's, like, at night and mm-hmm. it's dark in the living room or something and I turn it on and it's headline news. I'm like... Er, are you trying to tell me something? Mama? <laughs> but she's still watching it too, girl. Well, I like it because it's owned by CNN. But I really do feel like it's like the most, because I'm I'm very moderate. Like I'm left of middle is kind of yeah, how I feel like politically. I, me too. I feel like I'm that too. Maybe a little more left. I take a wider like... Mother, may I, can I sleep with danger? That's What the (laughs) fuck? Take two steps? Is that what you meant to say? Well, I was going to say you take a wider, you have a wider turn radius. Yeah. But anyway, and I feel like. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were calling me fat. (laughs) That's us back it up. (laughs) Wide load. Coming through. (laughs) Oh, God. Take that, trolls. (laughs) We'll say it for you, motherfuckers. Oh, my God. But I was like, yeah. Did she just say I'm fat? (laughs) Oh, God. No. That's not what I meant at all. I think we got off on tangent enough, like, of our side conversations just then that I don't even remember where we're middle of the road. Oh, yeah. And that's why you like headline news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so I'm left of center. I feel like Headline News does a good job. This is not a plug. This is just me chatting about shit I like. But I feel like it it does that. You know, yeah. it's like they'll pull in like a clip from Fox News and they'll pull in a clip from CNN. And you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, I don't know. Plus, they do a little like pop culture and a little salute to the truth. So. <laughs> yeah. The weatherman wears fancy shoes. <laughs> he actually kind of gets on my nerves. <laughs> I think he has a crush on Robin Mead, even though they're both married. And you're jealous he doesn't look at the no, camera and I'm not, wink at you? Actually, I'm like, hey, Coy, <laughs> the um, football player. And um, who's the other guy that's on there? They're both football players. Coy Wires and Hans Ward. Oh. Anyway. And actually, one of the – oh, shit. What's her freaking name? Jennifer Knowles. It's like – I was like – is she related to Beyonce? And so, like, I had to go dig. And I had to find, like, dig on the internet to figure this out. She's Beyonce's cousin. Oh. And she's married. But I'm like, 
She fucking kept that Knowles last name, though. She knows uh-huh. what's up. Yep. Random question for you. The answer is if you know bread. The- French fries. No. no. Damn, are you hungry? We oh, just ate. I'm really not. <laughs> I just really want carbs. <laughs> okay. If you had to name one show from your childhood right now, what would you name? Salute Your Shorts is all I can think of. Okay. I've been thinking about Rugrats lately. Really? Yeah. My sister used to have that. What did she have? Casey used to have, was it a CD of Rugrats? It was like a. I wasn't that fancy. Maybe it was on the for, on the old Tandy computer. I used to love them, but they grossed me out too. I don't know. Have you ever seen the conspiracy theory thing behind it that they're actually all dead? No. Yeah, the conspiracy about it is that I think Angelica is the only one that's actually alive. What? Or something like that. And then they're, all the rest of them aren't real. Like, they're all they're all ghosts. They're dead. Girl, I'm going deep dive after we record. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? You mean Chucky's dead? Which one? Him or the doll? Oh, girl, I ain't talking about that doll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He come find me. <laughs> I always like, well, I liked them both, but I always liked Doug more than Rugrats. They're oh, about the same time. I love Doug, too. Okay, I don't know why I wanted to. I've just been thinking about Rugrats, and I wanted to know what you thought. Do you know what I say all the time at work? I'll be like, I'll say, I'll be right back, and then I always go, after, after these, these messages, messages, we'll be right back. back. <laughs> Literally all the time. It's stupid. I think about it, too. Also, we have two new members to the Creepinati, the Night Owls and Tracy Dalton. Thank you so much for being on the Patreon, and we look forward to hanging out with you in the Creepinati. That's right. Okay. All right. Let's wow. get into it. Okay. We were on some freaking tangents today. Tangent um, time. Okay. So, my story today, tonight. Tonight. Whatevs. Is actually a book that I just finished reading. And okay. by reading, I mean listen to. By Anne Rule. And, you know, Anne Rule's the one that wrote the book, the Ted Bundy book. Yeah, The Stranger Beside Me or whatever. Sure. But this one's called Something About a Harvest. God, her with these details. Uh, You know, all. A plus. Bitter Harvest. I had to look it up. Well, damn, you should have known bitter. That's what you are. Bitter Party of One. I really like this book because apparently it's when some of the extra research I was doing about it, obviously, because I didn't just, like, write the book down. I rewrote this book. It might be a bestseller, but now it's going to be a double bestseller. Take that, Annie. (laughs) Annie, are you okay? (laughs) Oh, my God. We are back. Blast from the fucking past tonight. But anyway, in some of the research I was doing, it said that the book was like 495 pages or something. But the audio book was like three hours. And you know I listened to that on 1.5. Wait, so was it like an abridged version that you... I think the the actual book was because it just had so many pictures. Because they said oh. that she did a good job of showing, like, pictures and all this other stuff. So oh. maybe that's why. I don't know. And you know I listened to that shit on 1.5, yeah, I don't understand. So we got through that book in, like, two hours. Damn. I don't know how long. I can't do that math. Okay, anyway. It is about Dr. Deborah Green. So Deborah Green was born February 28th, 1951. She was the second of two daughters to Joan and Bob Jones. They lived in Havana, Illinois. I will say, her mom's name is spelled Joan, but one thing said it was pronounced Joanne. 
Anyway, so as a kid, Deborah Green was very intelligent. Like, she was one of those kids that school just came easily to her. Yeah. She didn't have to work for anything. She never got anything below an A. She just was brilliant. She, they say that she taught herself to read and write before she was three. Oh, damn. She, she sounds like me. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, go on. Oh, God. She was like a National Merit Scholar. She was the co-valedictorian in high school. You know, brilliant mm-hmm. kid. I think, I think yeah, her, they said her IQ was like 165. Fuck. I know. She was like super athletic. She was talented musically she was i hate her she was pretty (laughs) she was smart witty all these things like she was just like all around fuck you yeah (laughs) fuck you for being awesome yeah and she really loved chemistry oh gosh so no well maybe so she went to the university of illinois and at first she was going to be a chemistry major in order to be a chemical engineer and then she was like you know, the market's kind of flooded with engineers. I guess I'll go to med school. Just like, oh, yeah. Why not? I mean, I don't really want to be a doctor, but I mean, I guess. Magic eight ball. Should I go? Yeah. So she got into med school. Med school. <laughs> she got into med school at the University of Kansas School of Medicine, and she graduated in 1975. So, you know, with med school, after you graduate, you then you have to do your residency. Yeah. And you can kind of pick where your res- residency, where you, whatever. So she decided that she wanted to do emergency medicine. And so she started doing her residency as an emergency room physician and then graduate, you know, finished all everything. Does she harvest the organs? Okay, go ahead. So while she was in undergraduate and med school, she got married to Dwayne M. Green, M.J. Green. He was an engineer. She didn't want to be an engineer. She wanted to be a doctor. I'm just saying because, like, it's funny that she married an engineer because it was so saturated. Yeah. But they got divorced, like, just after a few years. Like, after she finished her residence. She was one. You know what? This, this, I just realized this. This bitch was one of those. With somebody through undergrad, they put your ass through med school, you get done with residency, and you fucking divorce them. A bitter party of one. (laughs) While she was separated from her husband, she was working at a hospital as an emergency room physician. And there was a guy named Michael Farrar, and he was a medical student, you know, in his 20s. He was in his last year of medical school, about to start residency. And they, you know, were like, dang, about each other. They're they're intelligent. They're all, they're both funny. They're both attractive, blah, blah, blah. Is this Grey's Anatomy? No. Okay. Fuck no. (laughs) So Mike and Deborah, of course, like I said, hit it off. He was a little kind of because she had a habit of just kind of like losing her temper over very tiny things that didn't really matter. Yeah. Um, But, you know, she Deborah saw Mike as a very stable kind of dependable force in her life. Yeah. So they got married May Twenty second, nineteen seventy nine. From there, Mike Farrar was accepted to an internal medicine residency in Cincinnati, and so they moved to Ohio. Okay. So she went to a hospital to be a physician in the emergency room, but then was like, you know, I think I want to switch specialties. So then she started another. Well, they're calling it residency, but this has got to be a fellowship. 
not a residency because it's fellowships is the specialization. So okay. I'm going to call it a fellowship. So then she started her fellowship in as an internal medicine, like with Mike Farrar. In the early 80s, they were living in Ohio and Deborah had some medical issues, just like she had an injured wrist that got infected. She oh, had fuck. a lot of like really bad migraines, a lot of insomnia. Just some just some stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Well, they had their first child, Timothy, in 1982. She did just her quick six weeks of maternity leave and then decided to do a fellowship in hematology and oncology with the University of Cincinnati. Okay. So she, they've got the kid, one kid. You know, she's starting this fellowship. At the same time, Mike's career as a physician is taken off. He has d- finished all of his, his fellowship. He's a cardiologist now. You know, he's just Damn. in the Kansas City area. He's like just this rising star. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that Anne Rule really kind of focused on at this point in the book was that Mike was very determined and very organized and very studious. And, you know, they had the kid and they ended up having another child two years later. Her name was Kate. And so, you know, they had the kids, He, but he would help Deborah in the house. You know, they'd bathe the kids, feed the kids, they'd have dinner, put the kids to bed. And then he would get to his books to study so that he could pass to be the boards to be a board certified cardiologist. Yeah. When at the same time, Deborah was supposed to be studying to be a hematologist and oncologist. Mm-hmm. Well, when Mike would start hitting the books, she would go upstairs and just read novels. She, because she was one that school would always came so easily to her, she didn't have to study. She yeah. never had to study in her life. She was really enthralled in novels and, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of books. She just loved to read. Mm-hmm. So she never studied for her boards and she took her boards and didn't pass. Oh, fuck. That was like yeah. when everything changed. So she, again, she could practice as a oncologist. She just wouldn't be board certified. And so yeah. if any of her patients looked, if they're, you know, deciding between physician A and physician B and A is board, cert- board certified, they're going to go to board certified. Yeah. So the other thing, too, with with her is that a lot of her colleagues didn't like working with her. She was very, uh, like, abrasive and mm-hmm. demanding. A lot of patients didn't like her because she had really poor bedside manner. So she was just really struggling with kind of finding her place. She'd been sick, all these things. She didn't pass boards, you know, wouldn't get along with coworkers. She was having difficulty with patients. And so around that time, Mike caught her stealing painkillers from patients. Oh, fuck. So I'm not really clear as to whether she would, like, write the prescriptions. Like, I know at one point, I'm not sure exactly where this falls in the timeline because this was kind of a problem throughout. At one point, like, she would have bottles and bottles of patients' narcotics, like, their names on the pills. And so I don't know if she was writing prescriptions to patients that did or didn't exist and was mm-hmm. getting them filled. I mean, because you also have to think, this was the 80s. And so, you know, the systems that we have in place now yeah. to keep one visit, you know, someone going to multiple physicians to get yeah. narcotics is, you know, that won't can't happen anymore. Like, yeah. it's illegal for two physicians to write you a narcotic like that. Yeah. She um, was giving them Flintstone vitamins, and she was taking their good stuff. 
Of course you went to the Flintstones. <laughs> okay, yeah. so like I said, a couple years later, they had Kate, their second daughter. And so after they had Kate, she went into private practice in hematology and oncology. And that's when Mike also finished his last year in his cardiology fellowship. Because he okay. was you could, you're a cardiologist, even though he yeah. was finishing his fellowship and all. So a year after she started her private practice, she became pregnant again, and they, she had their third daughter, or their third child, second daughter, Kelly, in 1988. So the Farrar children, because they had, you know, she kept her name because yeah. they're physicians, and that's kind of how that yeah. goes. But they went to Pembroke Hill School. It was a private school in Kansas City. You know, and by all accounts, she was a very involved mother. You know, at this point, she let her practice go and was staying home with the kids. She, you know, was the mom that took them to all their shit. You know, just yeah. the, the all-around kind of exactly what you think of when you think of a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, they she was, weren't latchkey kids. Right. She And she was working part-time, but she was working part-time at home as a medical reviewer for Medicaid. And so she would get charts, and then she would review the charts and say, pay them or don't pay them, or this is right or this is wrong, blah, blah, blah. So, again, around this time, Mike said that Deborah was self-medicating with narcotics, sedatives, that sort of thing. And he said that, you know, at that time, he would confront her because she would be— she just her demeanor would change, her handwriting would even be off, her speech would be— you know, slurred and impaired, you know, and he confronted her and was like, hey, you know, this isn't, this is bad. Like, you know, you have all these medications from these different people. You have to stop. Yeah. Like, you could lose your license. Like, this, you know, you could, this would be life-altering if you got busted. And so when he would confront her, she would be like, okay, I'm I'm done with it. Mm -hmm. I promise I'm done. And she would do well for a little while. Like, she would get off of it all and, and do well. In the book, Mike Farrar was very candid about the difficulties that they had in the marriage. And, you know, it was never really a, it was never a loving marriage. Like, they, even the, on their wedding night, he said that she, like, started reading a book. Like, they like they almost didn't even have sex that night. Like, he had to basically, like, not make her. By God, don't make anybody have sex. But, you know what I mean? Like, he yeah. it was like, she's sitting over there fucking reading the book, and it's like, it's our... It's our wedding night. Like, yeah. are you kidding? Come on. Quit. Put the book down. You know? Yeah. So it was never, you know, she was always kind of off in her own little world. And, you know, it just wasn't a very loving yeah. relationship. It was almost a, a partnership. You know, as the, when the kids were young, she still had troubles with her anger and all of that. You know, if something went wrong, she, she just couldn't cope. And she would fly into rages sometimes where she would just either harm herself or break things and, this could be in public or private, and sh- she didn't care either. Gosh. And so Mike, of course, as a cardiologist, worked incredibly long hours, mm-hmm. but then also intentionally worked long hours to kind of to get away from her because yeah. it was not a good marriage. One of the things that really aggravated me in the book was that one of the biggest issues that he had with her were, quote, her shortcomings as a homemaker, like, which, again, I get that she's working part-time and he's working probably 80 plus hours a week and so that's her her role in their partnership that she mm-hmm. kind of manages the household and he said that she like the house was always messy and blah 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 I don't know it annoyed me in the book though I'm like okay 
she's got to clean every, you know, I don't know. It annoyed yeah. me in the book. But on the flip side, I can see his, he's working 80 plus hours a week. Yeah. And she works part time so that she can be a homemaker and she's not doing that. Yeah. So when Mike and Deborah would fight, one thing that Deborah would always do is that she would treat the children as adults and she would talk to them and, you know, kind of really fill their heads about how shitty Mike was and would, you know, say like, oh, he doesn't love us. Look at he's always going to work and he's working all these hours and he's never here. And, you know, all these things would just had gotten to the point where their oldest Timothy, Tim, was he was old enough to really understand it all. And, you know, she had filled his head with so much and just made him start hating his dad so much that one time they got into a physical altercation. Like, Holy fuck. Tim came at him and Mike, like, grabbed his throat and pushed him up against the wall and was like, holy shit, what am I doing, you know? Yeah. So in 1994, January, Mike asked for a divorce. He was dreading telling her. Yeah, because she's going to blow up. flip Exactly. Out. She thought he was having an affair, but then also, like, Later was like, oh, I was so surprised that he didn't think our marriage was working kind of thing. Yeah. And so she flew off the handle. She was shouting. She was throwing things. She, like, called the kids in the room to be like, look, your father doesn't love us. He's leaving us. He's such a shitty person. Like, you know, all this stuff. So he moves into an apartment. And they were separated for about four months. But they wanted to try to make it work. You know, they talked about their issues that he wanted her to work on cleaning the house more and being more organized and, you know, not being so angry and, you know, all this (laughs) stuff. And she was like, well, I want you to work less hours and put more effort into us and all of that stuff. And so they were like, okay, let's try to make it work. He hadn't moved in yet. But, you know, one of the things that they talked about was the home. And she was like, we need a bigger house. You know, this just isn't enough space. And so they had started looking at this big six-bedroom home in Prairie Village, Kansas. Okay. And they were, you know, right up to the point of buying. And Mike was like, he said he just got a bad feeling that he was like, this is not a good idea. She's not changing. We can't spend all this money on this house. And then her not change her ways because she's not really doing it right now. Yeah. I can't do this. And so he backed out of the of buying the home. And so... She flew off the handles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. So not long, and I can't remember exactly how long it is, and of course I don't have it written down, but not long after he decided to stay in his apartment and them not buy the bigger house that she wanted, their current home in Missouri caught on fire. <gasps> And so the insurance investigator said that the fire was caused by an electrical short on a power cord that was, like, in the book, Ann Rule talked about how it was, like, wrapped really tightly around, I forget what it was that it was wrapped tight, but it it was kind of odd in how it was wrapped around that, but the investigators say it was just an accident, it was just, you know, an electrical short, and it caught the house on fire. Even though the house was repairable, they and their insurance paid for all the damage to the house and the property and all of that. 
So obviously she and the kids could not live in this house that had just caught on fire. So they moved into Mike's apartment. apartment. Oh, Lord. While they kind of decided what to do. Yeah. After the house burned down and they're living in the apartment, you know, things are actually going well. And so they're like, okay, again, they kind of talked about everything. You're going to put in your extra effort. I'm going to put in my extra effort. We're going to make this work. And so they decided to actually go ahead and buy that six-bedroom house. Oh, gosh. (laughs) In Prairie Village, Kansas. I keep wanting to say Prairieville because that's in, just right outside Baton Rouge. Yeah. So, of course, exactly. So, you know, they buy the house. They move in. Things are great for about four months. As it does when you are trying to force something that's not working, it's not working. Yeah. And so Mike is wanting to tell her that he wants another divorce, but he knows that she's going to lose her fucking shit, right? Yeah. Well, in June of 1995, they had a family trip planned to go to Peru as part of something to do with Timothy's school. Like, okay. it was it was like a school-sponsored trip that the family was going on, and so he was like, if I tell her now, it's going to fuck up this family trip. In the book, they talked about how, like, when they would vacation as a family— the process of getting to the vacation was like god awful because god. like Deborah was a complete bitch. Like everything bothered her. You know, if they were waiting on the airport, if there was a delay or whatever, she would just go off the hand fly off the handle and yelling at the Wait, flight is she attendants. You? I hate you. Um <laughs> <laughs> She was me and now she's you. <laughs> but then once they got on vacation, she turned back into her witty, charming, intelligent self that won Mike over, you know? And so he was like, if we can just get on the trip, we're going to have fun. I'm not going to talk about a divorce until we get back. Damn. So. You know, that wouldn't work with me because I'd be like, don't talk about the divorce. Don't talk about the divorce. She'd be like, are you hungry? I want a divorce. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So while they were on the trip, Mike met, well, Mike and... Deborah met another couple, the hackers. And the wife, Margaret, she and Mike bonded. Oh, fuck. You can't trust a hacker. They're going to hack it. Damn. Your family, your legs, whatever. So Margaret and David Hacker were in in a very similar marriage in that it was... Toxic. It Well, no, it just wasn't good. David Hacker had a a lot of issues with mental health and very severe depression that was not treated. He was an anesthesiologist. Margaret Hacker was a a registered nurse. And then, of course, Farrar and Green were both physicians. Yeah. And so they had a lot in common in the medical field and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So they became friends while they were on the trip. But Mike and Margaret, you know, kept in contact after – the trip. There was a spark. Yes. A connection. Exactly. So at this point, Mike had had enough, and he just decided that it was, you know, they're back from their trip. It's it's time to end things. And so he again tells Deborah that he wants a, a divorce, and she flipped the fuck out again. Fuck. She's not a Christian. Exactly. (laughs) So at this point, though, instead of moving into an apartment again, he was like, look, Deborah is drinking a lot. There's 
possibility that she's taking pills again, but she's drinking like entire bottles of alcohol a day, like a whole fifth or whatever of vodka. Yeah. I don't know know how much that is. Me (laughs) And so he's like, I'm not fucking moving out this time. I'm sorry. Deal with it. I'm here for the safety of the kids. Yeah. You know, they said that like she would still take the kids to all their events and all that. And when she would come back, that's when she would get so drunk that she would pass out. Some stuff said that she was even drinking like while she was taking them to their events and stuff. And when they were like, um, weren't you worried that something would happen to them? She was like, well, they were all right, weren't they? Damn. So one time, Mike was at work, and he got a call from the kids that were like, you need to come home. Like, we can't wake mom up. While he was, you know, on his way home, he was like, okay, I'm coming. It's going to be all right. Well, by the time he got home, Deborah had disappeared. Oh, fuck. And so he was like, where the fuck is she? You know, she looks all over the house. He calls her and calls her. She doesn't answer. And so she ended up calling the house. And she was like saying that he was a piece of shit for ending the the marriage and that that she was out walking around town hoping that she got hit by a car. So she was Good like gosh. kind of suicidal, but not, but just, you know, slurring her words really, really, really drunk. Gosh. And so he was like, you know. You need to come home. Tell me where you are. I'll come get you. Like, I want you to be safe. And then she would just, like, hang up. Well, come to find out, she was actually in the house the whole time. What the fuck? So, in the basement, the kids had their own phone line. And so, she was... (laughs) Catfishing him. (laughs) That's what I do when I call you from the gym. (laughs) Damn. Call me on my cell phone. Um, oh, God. Yeah, so she was using the kid's phone line to call him and, like, <laughs> Savage. I'm walking around and I want to die. And she's just, like, she chilling in the basement. Drunk. She's, like, eating popcorn, <laughs> got her feet propped up. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that is not where I saw that Apparently, he didn't look too hard for her. Well, she was, like, hiding under a bed or something oh, downstairs. Fuck. Like, because he went in the basement to look for her. And she was like, you can't find me. <laughs> <laughs> can't you just see her, like, this shit-faced, like, middle-aged woman being, like, walking like the Grinch when he's yes. trying to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I just picture her underneath the bed. Like her arms out, and like then, on Matilda when she yes. holds herself up under the uh, yes. comp- I mean, kitchen table. Yes, and it's like she wants the bottle in her hand, but she doesn't. But she can't, like you know, she's what I like mean? I can't hold myself up. And oh do it. my gosh! And was it a landline or a self? I mean, a cordless phone because if it was a landline, he had to see the <laughs> line. Well, he wasn't like walking around in the basement <laughs> talking to her on well, the phone. I know, but I mean, he was like up in the living room. I, Meanwhile, he's like, why's the base of the cordless phone lit up? Where's the cordless phone? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Whew, did he find this out? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. That just threw me well. <laughs> Y'all, I wish you could have seen her face when I said she was in the house the whole time. <laughs> because, damn, she wasn't that far gone. <laughs> I know. 
Well, she was fucking smart, drunk or not. She was well, brilliant. She was probably like, these fucking kids are getting on my nerves. Okay, I'm unresponsive. Play dead. And then <laughs> they're like, dad, dad. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to fuck up his work day. I'm going to show him. Hurry <laughs> down to the fucking basement. Golly. Oh, my God. That's great. Okay. So on October 23rd, Mike goes to pick up two of the kids to take Tim to a hockey game that he had. And I think Kelly came with them. It was one of the girls. I'm not sure which one. Tim had an amazing hockey game, like scored all the goals. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Mighty Ducks, basically. (laughs) The movie was made after him. He was the coach. Just kidding. Allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) Copyright. So when he took them back to... The lake where they, <laughs> I'm sorry. Damn. <laughs> where the ducks flew off. Yeah. Took the lake with it. <laughs> Fried green tomatoes. Yeah. Okay. So let me. Back up to where he didn't have a good game. Is that what you're Yeah. Say? Yes. Mike did, I think, at that point, after she pretended to be hiding in the basement. Or <laughs> pretended to not be hiding. Pretended to be dying and was actually in the basement. Which, I mean, she could die because... Alcohol poisoning and shit. Well, I was going to say demons, but okay. <laughs> I mean, basements, y'all. Oh, God. Okay. He did end up moving back out. Well, yeah. He was like, uh, peace. <laughs> when again, you know, he really had a tough time living there, too, because she really had turned the kids against him. Yeah. And he was trying to build the pieces back with the kids of, you know... He admitted he wasn't the best father that he should have been, and he was distant and all of that. At this point, he was having a relationship with Margaret Hacker, whose husband, that he was an anesthesiologist uh-huh. with all the with all the issues with depression and such. Yeah, he actually ended up committing suicide. Oh fuck! She, I think, was actually suspected of killing him because fuck. they had been. You know, there was just rumors. Not like yeah. I mean, she was investigated in that. Anytime anybody dies outside of a hospital, their death is investigated. And so they looked into it, you know, had to have the autopsy and all that. And, you know, he was an anesthesiologist, and he used his knowledge to make the perfect cocktail Mm -hmm. to kill himself. And so, you know, Margaret and Mike kind of found solace in one another, and they both were in these awful marriages. Mm -hmm. Margaret's husband committed suicide you know so they started having an affair one thing i do or actually read in an article and i was like you know what it kind of i thought this was weird too but then when the article said it i was like yeah (laughs) um that i felt like ann rule in her book was very like you know mike had to have the affair because it was such a bad relationship you know like she just yeah she kind of made mike almost like a hero mm-hmm. when he's not really you know what i yeah. mean like he he played his part mm-hmm. not saying that everything that you're about to hear that happened like was his doing but he wasn't this like unfallible perfect husband and yeah. father he needs we we want to give him the responsibility that he needs to take you know yeah so in August of I'm going to back up a smidgen from from October. In August, around the time be- right before Mike had moved out, mm-hmm. he started getting really sick. 
Oh, fuck. He was having a ton of, like, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, fever, so bad that he went to the hospital. And they were like, well, you probably got something from your trip to Peru. So, you know, he had that kind of first bout of symptoms, got a little bit better. But then on August 18th, was hospitalized. With because it was, I mean, he was so fucking sick, so dehydrated, really, really high fever. That's why he needed to eat out every day, McDonald's every day. Damn. So, this time when he was in the hospital, the doctors said that the infection that he had had basically damaged so much tissue that the infection got into his blood and he, he was septic. It created sepsis. Holy fuck. So he was like legit Bad. on the, he could, I mean, about to die. Yeah. So he was really, really sick in the hospital for a while, you know, IV antibiotics, the works, right? God bless it. And so on, they released him from the hospital though on August 25th. So he went home Deborah had given him some dinner because she was helping take care of him. You know, she's she's a doctor, too. Mm-hmm. She gave him some dinner. Not long after that, he started having the same symptoms. Oh, the vomiting, gosh. the diarrhea, had to go back to the hospital. Must have been in the chicken. He had chicken salad. What? <laughs> Holy fuck. Yeah. So then he had a third kind of bout of the symptoms, September 4th. Again, days after he was released from the hospital the second time. And again, they're like, okay, he's got these gastrointestinal issues. They're, they, they've got to be from something like typhoid fever or some sort of tropical some shit that he got in yeah, Peru. Peru. He had, like I said, been home a couple of times. He had eaten some chicken salad. Felt sick not long after that. Fuck. He had had another, like, a, I can't remember if it was like spaghetti or soup or something like that felt sick a little while later yeah just kept having being ill and ill and ill and she learned about nanny doss that's what she did so at the time again he's having an affair i guess you could i mean i guess technically it's an affair yeah they're still married he was having the affair with margaret and she was like she's poisoning you like uh-huh. she's fucking poisoning you and he was like are you you're absolutely not <laughs> she's like molly you in danger girl yes like he was like, fuck, absolutely fucking not. Like he, she's not, she's not poisoning me, and so she was taking care of it, you know, because she was like being his caregiver, helping him when he was so yeah, cause sick. Yeah, because she is cuckoo, yeah, cuckoo. And so you know, he's help. She's helping him care for, you know, helping care for him, but she's starting to drink again or oh, steal, I guess I should say. She's drinking heavily. She's still kind of coming up, coming to him with all these like. Threatening to commit suicide. While and she's all of that. in the basement. Yeah. And so in late September, Mike decides to kind of to search the house because he thinks that she's again drinking heavily, hiding some of it, and thinks that she's probably taking the pills again. So he goes into her purse and he finds seed packets labeled castor beans, a copy of an anonymous letter. That had been sent to Mike Farrar that was telling him not to get a divorce. What? And empty vials of potassium chloride. Holy. So he took, he was like, 
she's about to commit suicide. Like, he, oh my gosh. He was like, holy shit, she's about to commit suicide. Like, let me hide, let me hide these things from her. Mike, 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 Mike. So the next day, Mike's like, Deborah, I found this stuff in your purse. I know that you're drinking again. You're using pills. Like, what's going on? And what the fuck are the castor beans? And she's like, well, I was going to plant them. <laughs> and then he was like, mm, you weren't going to plant them. And she was like, okay, okay. I was going to commit suicide with it all. And so she had just gotten progressively worse and worse and worse. And so he was like, I can't do this anymore. And so he called the police to have her committed, basically. Mm-hmm. On that thing? Oh, yeah. Uh, um. Baker Act? Yeah. No, actually, she, well, at first, yes, but she ended up going willingly. Oh, okay. You know, and Anne Rule does a good job about going into, because, like, when she first gets in, because she she did a little bit in a psych rotation, and so the physician that was in the psych department knew her, and it was like, that doctor knew that, according to reports, she was, like, shit-faced, but when she got there, she's like, I smelled alcohol on her. But, you know, she seemed coherent. The first thing she said when they rolled her in was, great, somebody I know. You yeah. know, because she was embarrassed that she knew the physician that was going to do her intake and yeah, and all of that. You know, and she was like, okay, yeah, she was disheveled. And, again, I could smell alcohol on her. But, you know, she seemed fine. She answered all the questions appropriately. And, you know, everything was fine. Well, then... Mike walked in because, you know, the doctor's like, there's two sides to every story. Like, you know, when she's looking at Deborah, she has no idea why he had called the police to have her, you know, take taken in on a psychiatric hold. Yeah. Well, then Mike walks in and she flips her lid and she tells him, you're going to get these kids over our dead bodies. Just, I mean, lost her shit. Well, they ended up getting her to agree to a voluntary commitment. So she was able to leave whenever she wanted to from the psych hold. Okay. When she was in the hospital, she was diagnosed with major bipolar depression with suicidal impulses. And she was given, you know, Clonopin, Prozac, and some other drug I can't say. Transine is what I'm going to call it. She was in the hospital for four days. While she's in, in the hospital, Mike starts researching the castor beans and found out that the castor beans, like, in their true form is not poison. But when it's, like, ground down, it's actually rice and poisoning. What? Yes. And so he was like, holy fuck, mm-hmm. she's poisoning me. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, ding. Duh. And so that's when he moved out. Well, it just took a whole novel to get him to move out. Good mm-hmm. Lord. All signs point to this. It must be the other thing. I know. I know. Well, I mean, but truly, I know he's though. he's in it. And yeah. I mean, it's all, it's it, hindsight's twenty twenty, And, I mean, that would be like, I mean, I don't know, because I don't know of anybody that has this type, that type of relationship. But, I mean, to think that your spouse would actually try to kill you, that's got to be, I mean, how do you even. Well, if she's like. She, mm, I don't know. I mean, just how do you even process I that? I feel like of all this stuff she's already lied about, I wouldn't trust her anyway. True. And then if someone's like from the outside saying that and it's like, okay, 
I've almost died from this. And you know what I mean? Like multiple times Mm -hmm. back to back. Okay, you might be right. Maybe I don't need to, like, just just try it out. Yeah. Go do something else. Eat with your lady friend over there and not at home. Yeah. And don't drink anything but, like, bottled water that you have just to see. Like how you say to do, if your stomach hurts and you say, like. Like an elimination diet. Yeah. That's what you need to do just to see. Mm -hmm. Just to be like, I might be crazy. But let me see. Trust yeah. your gut, people. Quite literally. Yeah. Because he had the diarrhea. But, I mean, if it says don't eat bull peanuts, it's lying to you. It's. Go ahead. Eat them. <laughs> okay. So, on we're going to come back forward to October 23rd. So, again, went to the hockey game. Amazing game. All the goals. He gets back to the house about 845, hangs out with the kids for a little while. You know, they talk about the game. You know, he's like, oh, blah, blah, love you. Bye. <laughs> and so when he left the house, he went over to Margaret Hacker's house. They had dinner. You know, they were sitting down to watch a movie. And then he got a, on his pager, because mm-hmm. he's a cardiologist, he got a, a call to call the house, his, you know, where his kids are. And so he called, and she was like, she answered and was like, I didn't page you. He's like, well, somebody did. I mean, I have a page from the house. And she was like, well, I mean, I guess it could have been Tim, but he's asleep. Do you want me to go wake him up? And he's like, no, just, you know, clearly it's not something he needs, you know, whatever. And she was like, well, what are you doing? And he was like, "Um, at dinner with friends, like, let me know if he needs anything. Bye, yeah. kind of thing. And so right after that, he was like, all right, well, it's 1130. I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to my apartment. So he goes to his apartment. And. Oh, God. Did Tim need help and he didn't go at first? So while he's at home. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you yes or no. tiny Tim. Okay. So he's at home and his phone rings at his house and he answers. And it's Deborah, And she's like, oh. I wasn't expecting you to be home. And he was like, why? Like, what? And she was like, well, I was going to leave you a message basically telling you how shitty you are. And <laughs> I wrote out this whole thing and I was going to read it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got to call you back. Bye. <laughs> I'm going to call back. Don't answer this time. Okay, bye. <laughs> I'm waiting for the beat. <laughs> Damn. Oh, shit. I could just see her like on the phone and her eyes going like, Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, new phone. Who did? Bye. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a thing then. When she called him, you know, was like, oh, you weren't supposed to answer. He was like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm tired of this. <laughs> like, he had he had been more pleasant than he should have been. Yeah. And this whole time, he was like, you're clearly drunk. You're, you know, you've poisoned me. You have turned the kids against me. You are a piece of shit, and I'm tired of it. Yeah. Stop calling me. St- stay out of my life, basically. You're off my call list. <laughs> One of our friends, ex-boyfriend, called her to be like, hey. Like, this is like months after they broke up, and she's like, what do you want? And he's like, well, I just wanted to call and see how you were. And she's like, why? And he got all butthurt about it. was like, I'm going to take you off my call list. <laughs> she's like. Okay. Okay, bye. <laughs> oh, God. So now we have to say that all the time. I'm going to take you off my call list. 
Okay. <laughs> so after he got off the phone, finally, with her, he said that he was at home, watched TV into, in, about his, in his apartment until about 1230, and then he got a phone call from a neighbor. Oh, fuck. And the neighbor said, he answered, and the neighbor said, your fucking house is on fire. Holy fuck. He, of course, like, immediately, like, jumps in the car, drives there. At 1220, there was a 911 call placed from the house, and when the dispatcher answered, there was no one there. Like, it was an empty call, like, and then they hung up. And so, I want to say in the book, Ann Rule said that the dispatcher, like, recognized the address or something like that and was like, hmm, had a gut feeling, was like, I'm sending somebody out there. Yeah. Like, even though nobody was on the line, like, something's up. She sent, the dispatcher sent a police car out, and when the car got there, it saw that this house, this huge house is just engulfed in flames. Fuck. And so... They classified the house as a two-alarm fire, like, let's go. Yeah. And so the when the first firefighters got on the scene, they found Deborah, Deborah Green and their 10-year-old daughter, Kate, outside of the house. Oh, fuck. Both of them were, you know, in their pajamas. Kate told the firefighters, help me, my brother and sister are in the house. Oh, my gosh. And so Timothy, who was 13, and Kate Kelly, who was six, again, was still inside the house. Oh, my God. Did they die? Oh, my God. Kate's the one who was, like, frantic and said, my brother and sister are still in the house. Still in the house. you got to go help them. Deborah Green was just standing there. What the fuck? And so they just say that, like, her demeanor was just very calm, very controlled very cool and it's like her kids are in this house she's not fighting for him she's not trying to go get him she's you know just standing there and so the initial initially firefighters tried to go into the the house on the first floor and they get a little ways in but the smoke and the heat were it was literally too much for the firefighters and so they had to they had to get out of the house they could not search anymore and so they just had to work on putting the fire out Holy fuck. And so... Oh, my gosh. The house was almost completely destroyed. Only the garage and some of the front stonework was left. Oh, my God. They died. The fire had spread so rapidly. There were some high winds at the time. Just the the speed in which the house caught on fire, they were like, there has to be an accelerant. And so they took Kate and... Deborah and because Mike's there at the time, you know, he's he's there. They took them, the three of them to the police station. It wasn't until the next morning that they had gotten the fire out and the house cool enough to actually go in to see to find the bodies. Oh, my gosh. Kelly was. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I have to. Kelly was still in her bed. No, um, she had died of smoke inhalation, and so you you could tell that she didn't even. I don't. She probably did not even know that there was a fire. She okay. was asleep and had died of the smoke inhalation before she even knew what was going on. Okay, she was in her bed. They found Tim on the first floor. And they thought maybe he was trying to crawl out. Oh no. But when they did the autopsy, they found that he had actually 
died of smoke inhalation too, and that the flooring in his bed on the second floor had just collapsed and he actually fell through to the second to the first oh floor after he had already died. So I think that he suffered m- more than Kelly, mm-hmm. but not like it was initially thought because his body was on the first floor. Yeah. Do you think she put anything in there, like gave them something to make them sleep? I don't know. Now we're going to kind of break this up into Deborah's account, Kate's account, and Mike's account. Okay. So when the police are interviewing Deborah about what happened, they've got the video recorder on her. You know, she talks about that the day was normal. The kids went to their stuff. Tim and Kelly went to the hockey game. Kate was in this really big ballet. She was practicing for this huge, I think it was the Nutcracker, where she had this, I don't know, we just talked about the Nutcracker at dinner tonight. And so, you know, Kate had this big thing. So she had taken Kate. Mike had taken the other two kids. And, you know, she she told them all of that. She said that that night she had only had one or two drinks after dinner. When she went into her bedroom, she said she only came out to speak to Tim when he was in the kitchen sometime between 10 and 11. And then that, and then Timothy went to bed. She said that Kelly and Kate had gone to bed earlier, taking two of the family, the family's two dogs with them. And rule, you fucking left that part out in the book that there were what two motherfucking dogs. The fuck. Somehow, in my research, I skipped that part. Maybe my brain didn't want me to see it, because that's new news to me. Oh, my gosh. What the fuck? So. Bless it. She said at some point before she fell asleep that she remembered talking on the phone to Mike and that he had called and said that somebody in the house had paged him and that... She, you know, she told him they were getting a divorce, and she was like, I didn't page him. And so I told him, you know, must have been one of the kids. And so she said then she went to sleep. At some point, she was woken from the sound of the alarm system. And that at first, she thought it was a false alarm that maybe the dogs, because the dogs sometimes will tri- will, will trigger the burglar alarm. Okay. And so at first, she thought it was that. And she tried to shut off the alarm at the control panel in her bedroom But it, like, kept going, and she was like, what the fuck? So she opened the door to her bedroom and found smoke, like, bellowing through the hallway. So she said that, like, this deck that's connected to her bedroom, that's how she got out. And that while she was standing on the deck, she heard her son Tim on the intercom system calling to ask her what what he should do. Oh, my gosh. And she told the police, he used to be my 13-year-old. And she said that she stated she told him to stay in the house and wait for firefighters to rescue him. What? So she then she went to the neighbor's house, knocked on the door, told them to call eight one one, not nine one one, eight one one. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, one one one. Not this. This article right here said nine one, but in the book they said that she told them to call one one one, and they were like, "What?" But obviously they knew what to do. When she got back to the house, she found Kate, who had climbed through her second-floor bedroom window onto the roof of the garage, and that Deborah told Kate to jump, like, jump, and that Kate was like, I'm scared, and she's like, jump right now. Like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm watching, damn, this is us. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it was pretty much that. Yeah. And so, you know, detectives, and while they were, you know, in the interview, they were like, she's not crying. In fact, she's like talkative and fucking cheerful even throughout this interview. Like she was like that witty kind of, you know, that persona that she had. Yeah. And they noticed that she kept talking about Tim and Kelly in past tense. And that she would, like, when she would talk about her kids, too, she would refer to them as their ages and not their names. It's so, like, my 13-year-old, my 6-year-old, instead of Tim and Kelly. Oh, my gosh. She had some inconsistencies in her stories, like little things like what time she went to bed, you know, that kind of thing. She kind of, like, flip-flopped in her, during the investigation, like, or not during the investigation, in that interview, like, she went from, like, chatty and talkative and and all these things and then all of a sudden when they got there at 5 30 to tell her that because it was it was you know five o'clock in the morning before they were finally able to get into the house it was so hot that it was five hours from putting that flame they put you know putting it out yeah and letting it cool enough so that they could go in that's how big and hot that fire was so When they told her that Tim and Kelly had been found dead, she reacted with some sadness, but then, like, immediately changed to anger and told the detectives that the firefighters didn't do enough to save her children and that she had been cooperative and friendly. And now then she started saying that the detectives were pathetic and that they had withheld their knowledge from her of her children's death and they... She was demanding that she be able to see Mike and the remains of the house. And she said that she wanted to be the one to, quote, tell my husband our babies are dead. You know, all of this stuff. Yeah. So at 620 is when they started interviewing Mike. They told him immediately that they had found the bodies of Tim and Kelly. Bless his heart. I know. They said, like, in the book, she just kept talking about how awful he was, like, how, I mean, just how heartbroken, and you could just see it all over him that this was just, like, literally the worst news he had ever gotten. Yeah. So he told the police about the state of their marriage, his deteriorating health, that he had been hospitalized and that he thought that she was poisoning him. He told him that he had gone to take the, the two kids to the hockey game and that they, you know, had had the best night that they had had in a long time, that, you know, he had fun with those two kids and that, you know, it was really nice because he and Tim had had such a tumultuous, tumultuous whatever that word is, relationship <laughs> that, you know, because yeah. he had been programmed to hate his dad from his mom and so you know it was like this amazing night he told him about the phone calls and that he had had you know he was fearful that basically he had set her off because he told her like i'm fucking done this is ridiculous you're an alcoholic you're a drug addict like you need to get your shit together like i'm not doing this anymore bless his heart the guilt Mm -hmm. at least they had that really good night i know So, after his interview, he immediately filed for divorce and filed for custody of Kate, who had been taken by his parents while they kind of dealt with the police in the situation. The courts later awarded temporary custody of Kate to Mike's parents. And because of just, like, Deborah's instability and then Kate's 
profess anger towards her father because, again, she, too, had been brainwashed for all yeah. these years to hate her father that he's this shitty person that's choosing this girlfriend over them and, you yeah. know, all this stuff. And so Deborah was allowed to do, like, supervised visits with mm-hmm. Kate, but Mike didn't have to have supervised. He could have just have visits. Kate's story, she was interviewed on October 23rd. I mean, I'm sorry, 26th, so three days after. She said that on that night she woke up to find that, like, the fire was burning. She could see smoke seeping into her room, so she opened her bedroom door and called to her brother, and then... Close the door and call. She's the one that called 911. Oh. That call with no one. Wow. She crawled out of her bedroom onto the window, like out the window to escape the fire. And that when she saw her mother, she said that her mother was, quote, terribly upset. She called to her and Deborah told, told her to jump down. Mm-hmm. And that she was like, it's okay, I'll catch you. When when Kate did jump, Deborah didn't catch her, but she was okay. And oh, that girl, they, she, of course she's not going to catch you. Mm-hmm. And then that, like, right after that is when Mike got there and that Kate said that Mike had been basically accused Deborah of starting the fire and then was worried that the whole time Deborah was crying and worried about the kids. Oh, gosh. She did acknowledge in her interviews that her mother was drinking and, you know, but she would say, like, her mother was a great mother and was doing everything that she could. She was very upset with her father for leaving her mother and that you know her mom was great and that she said that she never saw any matches in the house and she said that she was really surprised that tim was not able to escape in the same route in which she did out the bedroom window onto Mm -hmm. the roof you know because it's very odd that the two people that were with their dad Mm -hmm. that night are the two who passed away Mm -hmm. the one who was living was like not the golden child, but almost the golden child, and that she mm-hmm. was, like, in this big ballet coming up, you know. Yeah. So, after Deborah was released from the police station on the 24th, Mike was like, you know what, I'm going to let you come to my apartment for just a little bit so you can get washed up and get a, get your clothes changed. He was like, but you're not staying here. Like, I'm going to, you're the mother of my children, even though I think you may have killed them. I'm not going to put you on the street. You can come here and take a shower, but here's the money. Go get a fucking hotel. I wouldn't have even done that. And so she rented a room at a local hotel. She had she had a divorce attorney named Ellen Ryan so that she had been. There's a whole like thing on, in the book about how much like Ellen Ryan had helped her for the divorce part. And so Deborah called her and was like, "My babies are dead." And she's like, "What are you talking about?" And so she you know told her that there was the fire and all this stuff. And so. Ellen Ryan was, like, trying to be, like, be, you know, be her champion and all that. Because at this point, Deborah Green was in a spiral. She was, it was bad. Yeah. So they start investigating the fire. A dog that's trained to detect accelerants was brought in to help search the house. They ruled out any potential for it being accidental, like a furnace or electrical panel. And they figured out that there were multiple points of origins for the fire. Which, of course, indicates arson. Yeah. That there were poor patterns, like P-O-U-R, poor patterns for accelerants found on the ground floor and the second floor, showing that flammable liquids were poured there. Mm-hmm. It covered. This, this says that it covered many areas of the ground floor, blocked off the stairway from the second floor to the ground floor, and covered much of the hallway on the second floor. 
The poor patterns also, okay, stopped right at the door to the master bedroom. Oh, my god! So the gosh. poor patterns did not go into the master bedroom. There was one drawer in the master bedroom bathroom, the master bath, that had, you could tell that, like, it was lit on fire, but that it, like, didn't do anything. Like, it was just, like, this one spot, and then that was it. The poor pattern. sketchy. Mm-hmm. But the poor pattern had also soaked into the carpeting and the hallway that led to the children's bedrooms. They never could figure out exactly what the liquid was. Hell, probably her alcohol. Oh, maybe. But there was a can of gasoline that was kept in the shed, but they were able to prove that it wasn't that. Whatever it was, though, somewhere between 3 and 10 U.S. gallons was used to as accelerant. Good googly moogly. So, of course, now it becomes like uh, it comes, becomes a homicide investigation. Yeah, God. So, so they tested the clothes that were worn by Mike and Deborah that night and took hair samples for both from both of them because there could be like singes on the uh-huh. hair. And at first, well, neither one of their clothes showed any evidence for having been in contact with an accelerant. And of course, Mike's hair showed no signs of singeing. Mm-hmm. But before. Deborah agreed to the hair test. She got two haircuts. Oh, she got my a haircut because she said that her that she went to someone else because her regular girl wasn't available for a haircut, mm-hmm. and that she hated the way this new person did. So that's why she got it cut again. Wow, but, likely story. Yeah. So they finally got the hair sample from her though, and it showed quote significant singeing. <gasps> Detectives said that, like, that means that she had to be in close quarters to the flames. But according to her story, she saw smoke and left. Like, she never was actually in contact with it. Yeah. And didn't help her kids, you know, get So it wasn't like she was, like, fighting through the fire to get to her kids. Which is crazy for her to be like, stay there, Tim. Wait for firefighters. Are you fucking kidding me? Jump. Yes. Break your leg. I don't give a shit, but live. Yes. So the neighbors said that when she came to their door to ask for help, her hair was wet, like almost like she just showered. Oh, my gosh. Um, So, of course, you know, they're really looking at her. Yeah. I swear to God, if you're setting me up and it was like really him or something, and I have talked so bad about her. That's so funny. I'm sorry. Okay, so they start doing some more digging on the... Oh, my God. Was it... Was it Margaret? Okay, sorry. This is not a Lifetime movie. I'm sorry. Okay, so they start doing some more digging on the caster beans because they're like, clearly she was present. (laughs) Fucking caster beans. Look how loud your laugh was. Like, it legit hurt my ears. I'm so sorry. But, okay. What the fuck? So they start doing some more research to be like, okay, where did she find these caster beans? Like, like we have to link them to her to prove (laughs) that she was trying to kill him. And so they're like, okay, well... Ended up, these beans are actually, like, out of season right now. So, like, places don't just have them. Yeah. And so they found this store where this person said, hey, you know, yeah, we did have a, a lady that, like, made us order a fuck ton of castor beans <laughs> for her. And they're out of season. And so we had, like, special order them. And they're like, well, do you know who she was? And they're like, no, I have no idea who she was. But she came into the store to pick them up. Yeah. And they're like, can you identify her? And she was like, yeah, probably. And so... She picked Deborah out of a lineup of photographs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so around this time, 
Mike's health is really bad. The sepsis had created an aneurysm in his brain. Shit. And so he had to have brain surgery. And so one thing about the about ricin poisoning is that it doesn't show up immediately on tests. But if you've been, like, after you've been poisoned by it, you'll create antibodies. And the more you've been exposed to it and the more you've been poisoned by it, the more and more antibodies you'll have. And so they did a blood sample from him to see if he had the ricin antibodies, which, of course, he had a fuck ton of them because he had been poisoned yeah. so much. Okay. So on November 22nd, they arrested Deborah Green shortly after she dropped her daughter off for her ballet practice. So, you know, and because and, her attorneys knew that the arrest was coming. And so they were like, look, if you're when you arrest her, will you please just let us let her turn herself in? But the police were like, no, her behavior is too erratic. It's too unpredictable. Like, absolutely fucking not. Yeah. So that we're going to go arrest her. So they, she was charged with two counts of first degree murder, two counts of attempted first degree murder and one count of aggravated arson. You know, they, they called it a domestic situation. They held her on a $3 million bond. Damn. And it was the highest bail ever asked for in Johnson County. Damn. So they had this huge, like, pretrial hearing, like, to decide, to decide basically whether to know or go ahead with trial. And so during the pretrial hearing, basically, her defense was that Tim started the fire. What? Mm -hmm. They said that Tim hated his dad so much that he was actually the one that was poisoning his dad because the first meal that he ate at the house that he was sick with was chicken salad. And that Mike on on the stand was like, well, I don't actually know who made the chicken salad. Yeah. Um, Deborah's just the one that handed it to me. Well, the next meal, again, I can't remember if it was like spaghetti, spaghetti soup, something like that. They were like, well, who made it? And he was like, well, Tim made it, but Deborah served it to me. Yeah. Um, and they were like, so did he make the chicken salad? And he was like, I don't fucking know who made it. But Fuck. Oh, my god. And gosh. so then they said that Tim had, like, a fascination with fire and starting fires and wanting to know how to – he said he – like, he said that he knew how to make bombs and that one time that he had been caught by local police setting off a Molotov cocktail – and stuff, and so they were like, you know, he had this fascination oh, fuck. with fire and all of that. Like, defense is he did it. So right before the trial, Mike had to go undergo brain surgery God for the you. for the abscess in his brain. And so truly, the prosecution the prosecution was so scared that he was going to die in surgery. They had to like videotape his testimony before because he was leaving to go have brain surgery holy fuck but this the surgery was successful and he was able to to come back for trial good god bless it if the kid did it but damn that is shady low down ultra like dastardly to put it on your dead kid if he did not do it yeah and so then the next thing kind of at the trial was that they had the lady from the store where the the beans were bought. Okay. And said like, you know, who bought the beans from you? She did. Had you ever seen her before the you bought she bought the beans? No. Had you ever did you see any of this case on the news or anything like that? Like did you know how did you have any idea who she was? And she was like, 
No, I didn't. I never. I never saw her again until the lineup that they yeah. gave me. So she was not swayed at all by like media and knowing yeah. who she was or anything like that. Of course, there was a lot of testimony about the medical aspect of the the ricin and you know all of that. You know, there were testimonies from first responders who talked about Kate being so frantic and worried about her siblings, and then the fact that Deborah was so stoic and seemed just yeah not bothered. They talked about, again, all the stuff we've talked about, the patterns in the flooring from the accelerant, the fact that she talked about the kids and the past tense, all of that. And their fucking ages mm-hmm. instead of their names? Mm-hmm. Whoa. And so, again, the, for the defense, they blamed Tim. They had a neighbor that testified that once Tim was burning some grass and in the neighbor's yard, a former nanny testified that she had heard Tim speak about wanting his father dead and planning to burn down the family house and said that she had called him multiple times setting or just with the tools to set a fire. And then on cross, she she was like, well, I actually never told his parents about it. So it's like, hmm, hmm, hmm. And so the defense rested on February 1st. And then so then the judge decided that there was probable, probable cause to hold Deborah for trial, and her arraignment date was set for February 8th, and then her, with her trial being projected to start later. Mm-hmm. So th- because there were multiple deaths, the prosecutors were like, okay, we're going to seek the death penalty. And just a whole lot of legal mumbo-jumbo yeah. that doesn't matter. She ended up taking a plea bargain on April 13th. So on April 17th, the plea bargain was made public, she appeared in court. She pled no contest to five charges, two counts of capital murder, one of arson, and two of attempted first-degree murder. Um, in exchange for avoiding the death penalty, again, she pled no contest, and she got a prison sentence of 40 years without the possibility of parole. Um, Just 40 years? hmm Okay, so this is an excerpt from the book. I just want to read a little bit. After listening to a reading of the prosecution's case against her, Green read a statement to the court in which she said that she understood that the state had, quote, substantial evidence that she had caused her children's death and that though her attorneys were prepared to provide evidence that she had not been in control of herself at the time of her children's death, she was choosing not to contest the state's evidence and hoped that the end of the case would allow her family, especially her surviving daughter, to begin to heal. So they were trying to do like a insanity plea, but also mm-hmm. blame it on Tim. Throw it out there, see what sticks. Yeah, yeah. You know, long story short, at, this is because this has been very long, Mike got custody, and he ended up breaking up with Margaret, Margaret after he had heart surgery to replace a valve that was eaten up by the sepsis from Oh, my God. He is the deteriorating. He, I mean, the sepsis had destroyed his body. God um, he survived and, you know, went on to continue practicing as a cardiologist and all of that. But, you know, he did have to have a heart valve replacement, big, 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 big surgery. So, there, I mean, there's a ton of details I'm not telling yeah. because, I mean, hello, it was like a three-hour book and this is a two-hour episode <laughs> of two stories. And so, you know, over time, he and his daughter got much closer and they kind of made amends and all of that. And he allowed her to keep in contact with her mother and was like, you know, not going to, didn't like listen on their phone calls or reading yeah. the, the correspondence until 
he found a letter from her that basically, that just basically said she was, she didn't do this and that he was a terrible father. And, you know, just oh all this stuff, gosh. all this stuff that she had been saying all these years. Yeah. this whole fucking time. And so he called her and was like, you know, you can continue to have access to her, but it will be monitored from here on out. You done fucked up. And she's like, I'm sorry, it won't ever happen again. It won't ever happen again. And, but he like continued to monitor. Yeah. From there on out. And she's still in prison. Wow. Yeah. So that is Bitter Harvest, the annual book. On- oh, because of the seeds. That's why it's harvest. Mm-hmm. Damn, I thought it was organs. Yep. So that is the murder of Tim and Kelly. Bless their yeah. hearts. The attempted murder of Mike and Kate by Dr. Deborah Green. First, do no harm. Apparently. She did harm to herself, harm to her kids, harm to her husband. To everybody. Yeah. Wow. hmm That was good. Thanks. I was on the edge of my fucking seat. <laughs> you know what I just thought about, too, though? When I took neuroanatomy, first of all, my professor was fucking amazing. He, like, <laughs> had his own bees and would, like, bring us honey from his actual Damn, bees. Damn. That was sweet of him. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyway, he was great. But we learned about this. Of course, I can't remember the name of it. But there's a loop in your brain that when you're sleeping, something, some receptor is bypassed. And so you don't smell in your sleep. So, like, that kind of gives me a little bit of peace about the kids dying in the fire. Like, the smell of it didn't wake them up. So if they didn't hear the alarm or or, or the alarm really actually never went off, I, mm-hmm. I kind of wonder if it didn't because she said she turned it off thinking it was the burglar alarm. Yeah. So I think that she turned the alarm off so that the kids wouldn't hear it and try to get up. Damn. And yeah. so, so that just kind of gives me a little bit of peace knowing that the kids probably never even knew what was yeah. happening, you know. So my question about that is – is it false advertisement that you wake up to Folgers, the smell of coffee? Mm-mm. Because they say the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. Okay. Well, is that is that false, though, when people say, like, I woke up because I smelled bacon? Yes. It's fake. They smelled it as soon as they woke up. Oh, that's funny. Like, it could be the very first thing you smell when yeah, you wake up. Mine fucking blown. Yeah. You don't smell in your sleep. Well, I guess that's good if you fart in your sleep. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. I, I mean, you're right. <laughs> I'm not wrong. I mean, I'm wrong for saying it, but I'm not wrong. My turn? I'm surprised that was the only question you had about that whole story. Well, it's over my head. <laughs> not, no, it, the no. story, not the, oh, the story. Loop. The story. I feel like I ask the, the questions that I... Yeah. I mean, that's sad, I guess. I don't know. It was sad. It was good, but it's sad. Again, I have questions if she, like, drugged the kids. I think she did. Or, you know, whatever to do that. And you know she was probably, like, that little fucker Kate. Mm-hmm. You know? Ugh. Like, I can't, I can't fathom that people do that. Mm-mm. Like, I can't fathom me being a parent. Well, I can, but you know what I mean? Like, the thought of it, I'm like, ugh. Like, go. But (laughs) I know if 
I was a parent, I definitely wouldn't be like, stay there. Let the firemen come and get you. You know what I mean? Especially when you know where you put the accelerant. Yeah. That it literally was creating a a, a literal line to their door, to their yeah. bedroom doors. Yeah. Like, I just couldn't do that. Mm-mm. Again, we talked about it. I feel like burning alive is the worst. Yeah, luckily. No, yeah. I mean, if they weren't awake and all of that. Yeah. But still, you, like, as the parent, you would know that. Well, and yeah, and as the parent, too, or the person, not even the parent, the person who set the fire, you don't know that they're going to not wake up. That you right. don't know that they're not going to be alive and aware of what's happening. Exactly. You know? Are you ready? Yes. Hit me with it. Hit me with your best shot. Oh, I'm firing away. Okay. Now, let me preface this to say. Oh, God. The topic I'm about to talk about. If you want to know all about it, I'm sure there's plenty of podcasts that have, like, all the information. This is Donna's version of it. Oh, hell. What is this about to be? (laughs) A.K.A. Blah, blah, blah for dummies, because that's me. Like, I need cliff notes. I was about to say cliff notes of it. Yeah. Okay. I am talking about reincarnation. What? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's like... That's a huge topic. Huge. And it goes into so much about religion and just a lot of that, and I'm not going to fuck that up. Yeah. So, I'm sure there's plenty of people who are experts Please go listen to them. Please go do anything. And please don't yell at me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, what is reincarnation? Coming back as something else. Yes. So, it's the belief that when a person dies, their soul momentarily separates from the body. And after some time, it takes a different body. Or, because you can come back as a plant or like a insect and insect we'll get into that but then they're born again on earth so then it's like therefore we go through many lives Mm -hmm. in this world so again cliff notes i'll touch on like when it first appeared and kind of about that so first appeared in india in the 7th century bc so like way back when Mm -hmm. and they started looking at agriculture and how like plants will die but the seeds you know like go into the earth and it comes back yeah i mean some some don't but you know what i mean yeah and also like how the sun would rise in the morning set and then rise again mm-hmm. same with the moon like everything was had like, a cycle i was gonna say it was cyclical yeah see you're you're not cliff notes i am stop yes i am So, anyway, it's just like, okay, well, if that's happening, maybe that happens to us, too. Because we are created, you know, like, from whomever you believe, whatever you believe, of the same of all of this. Right. Here. We all grow, blah, blah, blah. So, then, from then, it became, like, part of Buddhism, Hinduism. It spread to China, Japan, Tibet. Greece, Rome, you know. Yeah. It just started taking on. So why does a soul need to be reincarnated? And it's because that, one, 
it needs to pay for the sins committed in the present life or collect the prize of having had honest behavior and lived a good life. Hmm. So kind of like karma, you know, it's in there, weaved in there. So does that mean people who are like mediocre don't do it? No, we all do it. Okay. That's just the reasoning behind it is kind of an either or? Yes. I mean, so, okay, you're going to live multiple lives. Yeah. Some need more than others, but it's like not a race. Like your soul doesn't say, okay, I'm going to do like Cliff Notes version of that. It it doesn't, time doesn't matter to that. Well, it's not like... You had to do it in five lives. I was able to do it in two. Exactly. It's not a competition. Um, I like competitions. I know. I know. I mean, I'm sure our souls have competitions. Oh, my God. Right. But it's to become perfect. Like, the soul to be complete. Okay. So that's why it reincarnates. But you do have to answer for what you do in that life. Yeah. So they say that the soul is a continuous evolving, continuously evolving, good Lord. But okay, when it becomes pure spirit and no longer needs reincarnation, it immerses itself forever in this blind law that forces one to reincarnate into inevitable destiny. And that is called the law of karma. Okay. So like I said, if someone had been very sinful, it can, you can be reincarnated into an animal or a plant or a bug. But most people, if they are a human, they take on another human human form. form. Okay. Okay. But, I mean, don't be a bad person. (laughs) I've always said, though, that if I... That if I am ever reincarnated, I want to come back as your dog or my parents' dog. (laughs) I know, right? Living the fucking dream, these dogs. (laughs) This bitch over here sleeping and I can't stop yawning. (laughs) Okay, so deja vu. You're like, Well, you know I have that shit all the time. Yes, so it's a strange feeling of reliving an experience that we really, that we're really experiencing for the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. For some people, these experiences are considered evidence of a past life or an echo of our memory. Hmm. The best cases of deja vu recall an enormous amount of details and the quantity of knowledge impossible to explain scientifically. So, I mean, we all have like deja vu on some things, but it's sometimes it's nothing. But then sometimes when you're like, no. Like, you've never been to Europe, and you're like, no, I remember this fountain, but it used to be blue, mm-hmm. and blah, 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 and then yeah, you research that, and it did, you know? Yeah. That kind of stuff. Do you believe in reincarnation? I don't know. I, I mean, I really, I don't know. Also, they say that, like, for good karma, you it would lead to noble birth, and for bad mm. karma, it would lead to... Lower birth, mm-hmm. and that could be the animal, blah, 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 blah. Okay. But that kind of makes sense to me if people believed in reincarnation and they say, like, you're of noble birth and you, like, from God, you mm-hmm. were destined to be the king, blah, 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 blah. And they believe they're good because it would be good karma. Right. That put them in that whole thing, like their family. Yeah. Blah. Okay, there are 10 things to know 
when you're thinking about reincarnation. Number one is that the soul exists. And it's just saying that the soul isn't a myth or an illusion of like some pre-scientific superstition. It's actually like all human beings are a combination of physical, mortal body and non-physical immortal soul. And they said that your soul is the absolute essence of you. So it's really the only true answer to the question of who am I? Like it's your soul, not what you perceive yourself to be. It's deeper than that, which we'll get into more. It said from the body's perspective, the soul is the word I can't say. Conscience, conscious, conscious, yeah, animating life force within. So it's like the body's just a vehicle for the soul. Yeah. Then it said the soul evolves, which we talked about, like you're on a journey to evolve. Mm -hmm. And this can take years, like thousands of years for it to happen. And usually, like, usually you're not. You die and then come back right away. Mm -hmm. There are cases of that. Like if a baby is being born, like right at that moment that you die, like you could kind of like jump in line. Well, I was going to say, I watched Drop Dead Diva. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like literally that. But usually it's like 300 to 400 years. Oh. Sometimes. I say usually and then sometimes. But Usually, it's not an instant thing. But how do they know? I guess from the cases that they've studied, it's never been, hardly ever been like. No, but I mean, how does one know that you're, you, this isn't your first life? Because then I. I'll just wait. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, some of this, I don't know. Yeah. You know who I feel like would know? Courtney. Courtney, I know. I almost said. From the spell cast. I know. She, y'all. She is awesome, and her and her partner are so freaking knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. So definitely check out their podcast, but also they have their own anchor, and so you can contribute there to them, and they have Facebook, did I say Facebook, Mm -hmm. Instagram, all of that. Seriously. She always puts, like, such knowledge and shit on our our group, like, and freely shares it. Yeah. Okay, so the third thing, it says the soul evolves most efficiently in physical form, which is what I talked about. Like, usually that's how it goes. It's most effective when they have to face and make choices. So it's like big or small experiencing the effect of each choice. So that means you're one soul for the whole lifetime from birth to death. You don't just like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, I know what I need to do. Peace out. Right. You know? Okay, so it says, like, by doing that, you get to experience different things, understand, blah, blah, blah. And after you pass, why there is such a, usually a time span is because the soul is reflecting on what it's learned and how to improve. Improve, yeah. That's what I was just about to say. You need a chance for reflection. and yeah. So you don't make the same mistakes over and over again. Right. Okay. So number four, the soul undergoes the full range of meaningful experiences and choices by reincarnating. One lifetime is not enough to experience 
the whole gamut of life. So you living this life as Carrie Easterling, you're not going to know how to do everything. What? I know. I know it's hard to believe people. <laughs> That's why you have to live as me to be smarter. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, Good one, though. <laughs> okay. So, for example, the soul needs to experience life as both male and female, as both victim and perpetrator, <gasps> as both student and teacher. So it reincarnates over and over so it can understand how each choice affects them and other people. But if you say like, oh, okay, I kill you and that affects you, you have to know how that affects you. Yeah. Like the pain, the what you go through, blah, blah, blah. Like that is huge. Yeah. Because you think this amazing person that you know could be reincarnated into the worst person. Yeah. But it's for a purpose. And so then that makes you look at individuals too. I don't know. It's like push my mind reading this is like rabbit hole because I don't know. It's a lot. Okay. And also there's only a few instances where it's like Groundhog Day. If you have to understand like one certain thing and you're not getting it, You could be in the same kind of life again if you're not learning that one thing that you need to do or whatever. It could be like that, but normally it's not. You're going to be completely different in your next life. So it's not like you're going to die, come back, and be exactly who you are. It's not like you're a freaking hamster on the wheel. Yeah. You're just in the tunnel that goes crazy. Okay, and at number five says, the soul has no nationality, creed, race, or gender. So, like it says, there's no Jewish soul, no Chinese soul, whatever. Like, you choose what you want to be. You're not born. You know, the soul's not like, oh, I'm Jewish. I have to only go to these people. Like, they don't see that. It's not limited, I should say. They see what it is. But why would it even be an option, though, if you have to experience, you know, both sides of the coin? Yeah, but, I mean, you would want to see. That's another thing. That's why it takes so long. If there is a choice, why is there a choice, then, if you have to do both sides of the coin? Like, if you have to be the victim and the perpetrator. Like, why is there a choice, then? Because why would you choose a hard life? Because you, know what you I mean? have to know. Like, that's it. We can't comprehend it. That's why the soul, it, but, like, that's it. The Your soul doesn't see it as, okay, this is going to be the worst life ever. It's It has to know that hardship. And so it just gets to pick what order it wants to do it in? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like it builds and builds. Well, that's what, when you were saying that about it being like, okay, you have to be the victim and then you have to be the perpetrator and all that, like... I was wondering if there was an order. Like, what would you learn more from being the victim first or the perpetrator first? And I know I'm just keeping on with yeah. that example. Which would you, as a soul, learn more from? Doing, doing. let's take murder. Committing murder and then coming back as a victim or a family's victim who's also victims. Yeah. Which would teach you more to come to be the victim first or to be the murderer first, I wonder. I don't know because... Honestly, 
usually they're both victims. As true. we've learned from our true. your stories. No, true. And honestly, too, I mean, if you think about it, the victim, if you're like, okay, I'm going to be this victim, they could have the best life up until that one moment where mm-hmm. they die. But the murderer might have the worst life mm-hmm. up until that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or it could be vice versa. You're like, I'm going to be the victim and I'm going to learn this. And it could be the most horrible life. And you're the murderer and you're rich and powerful and all yeah. of this. You know what I mean? It's different circumstances. It's never going to be the same. Yeah. Which is, again, mind-boggling to me. Yeah. And it's, we're not supposed to comprehend it. Like, we can't. But then is that just an excuse to be like, oh, I can't, it's so grand or, you know, complex that we can't understand it. Well, then is it even real? I mean, I'm not saying, I'm just, this is just devil's advocate type thing, you know. I mean, well, that saying is the world real then. Like, are we really here? I think it's like the, no, I think that's like saying like the after here, you know? Yeah. Like uh, by saying like, you know, growing up in church and stuff, you, you, are taught like when you don't understand something in the Bible and it's like, well, that's only God knows, you know, yeah. and I feel like this is kind of the same thing because what you described at the beginning describes practically every religion, mm-hmm. whether you're yeah. Christian, whether you're pagan, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Hindi, whether you're whatever, mm-hmm. it, it, it describes everything at its core. Yeah. And so I guess it's like when you said, when you, when you, you, you as in general, not you specifically, Donna Elwin. Make it like, well, it's too complicated to understand. Well, is that because it's not even real? And when we die, we just die? Or is it because it really is that complicated? Like, how do you, how do people who are like, I've been reincarnated. Like, how you fucking know? Well, we might find out. Okay. Foreshadowing the foreskin. (laughs) Oh, damn. Okay, so from that whole tangent that we went on. It says, we choose our birth location, race, nationality to suit our purposes for any given lifetime. Sometimes race and creed are a deliberate choice. At other times, they are merely incidental to what the life is about. I guess my hard part with this is, and sorry, because I really am totally interested in trying to figure it out. Not that I'm going to figure it out on this episode, but. (laughs) (laughs) From my cliff notes. Yeah. You're passing the test, Carrie. Awesome. All of the answers are C. <laughs> um, but it's like with that, when you're like, okay, you can choose because it's like the soul knows what it needs to know. Be That to me takes in, makes an assumption that the soul is ultimately noble enough to make the right decision, which is hard to comprehend because when you have people, when you look at people as a whole who don't always make the noble decision, Mm-hmm. But it's like they didn't make the noble decision because that's what they have to learn at that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, yeah. are they not making noble decisions because that's what they have to learn? Or are they not even as their soul making the right decision of who to or yeah. what to be reincarnated as? Yeah. And do they pick like, okay, okay, okay. I was an asshole my last life. I'll come back as a fucking mosquito. Like, you know what I mean? Like, do they make that? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I'm Beats me. What? You're just like, Jesus, God, why did I pick this topic? <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm so interested, too, in it. Like, I like this. I mean, other people might be like, okay. And skip, 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 yeah. skip, skip. I'm sorry. 
skip to the Malu, my darling, whatever. Okay, so this says, because a soul learns through the process of compare and contrast, one who has just experienced life as, say, an Israeli soldier might decide to be a Palestinian orphan in the next. Also, I have something I want to discuss with you and. This might be cut out because I don't know. Okay. Through that, like how the soul has no nationality, creed, race, or gender. So there's no such there's no such thing as a male soul or a female soul. Mm-hmm. Gender is a biological phenomenon, not a spiritual one. So human beings are of two sexes, and so we have to choose to be one before each life begins. So, because we want to experience, compare, contrast, we will choose to experience life as both men and women. And we can be male or female as often as we please. We can, so like one lifetime, you're a male. One lifetime, you're a female. It's just a matter of your choice. And it said, even if we have a strong preference for one gender, we will still tend to do the other gender too, because we need that balanced perspective. So to me for, for this, I'm like, I feel like if you believe in reincarnation then, or you're open to that fact, but you're not open to the idea of transgendered people, like this right here is saying that for me, maybe Later in the stories, you'll see, too, how, like, people remember stuff, and they're like, no, I'm this. Maybe that's it. I mean, maybe they were a female in the past life, and that's what doesn't feel right of them being in a male's body. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, it's their soul. It's not how they say, like, biological. It yeah. is on a totally different plane, you know what I mean? So, yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like when I read that, I was like... Well, that was my first thought, too, was when you were reading it, was like, how does that take into account account people who are transgender? But, like, maybe they really are the... They remember that part of their life. But it also goes to how could that be the case if they were the decision... They were the decision maker as to what to come back yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so is it Well, and maybe they're like, shit, I made a mistake. Yeah. I really am a female or I really am a male. Or I really need to be a male to understand this perspective. So that's what I have to become. That's what I feel like. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it might be that. Like they might be like, No, I love being a female. And then when they get to that life shit's happening and they're like no this isn't what i need i need to understand it from a male perspective mm-hmm. or something and that's why you know i don't yeah. know i don't know anything about anything on these and so i'm not saying this out of anything other than ignorance almost you know yeah. and curiosity these, yeah curiosity i want to understand more i am open and accepting of both you know like of all of this i believe in reincarnation and, you know what I mean? I believe mm-hmm. in all of this. And so, I don't know. I just thought, like, wow, that's pretty powerful to think yeah. about. And, and so, how does it – and so, I feel like what you're saying is – correct me if I'm wrong. You believe in reincarnation and you believe and you support 
people who are transgender. Yeah. And you're just trying to see how the pieces fit. Yeah. And I'm trying to, I guess, make like for people who don't understand it or don't think it's right or whatever, like to open your mind on this then. If you believe in an afterlife or you believe in a higher purpose and all of this, you know what I mean? Like maybe you How can, can you reconcile that in your brain? Yeah. And can you use this as a way to like take your 300 years and stew on it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is exactly it. Number six is that the soul sticks to one species at a time, which is what I've already went over. This one is interesting. Number seven, each lifetime is pre-planned. Before taking birth, the soul, along with its guides and spirit, so it's not just you, Mm -hmm. will decide what experiences and choices the life should include. So, like, the appropriate circumstances, relationships will be chosen and set up with the cooperation and agreement of other souls who will be involved. Which kind of reminds me of what Tiffany had said. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about, thinking. Like, how did she explain it? She she saw it on a show that I think had it was Kidcratic. No, 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 no. Well, oh. uh, let me. No, 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 no. I think no. Um, <laughs> I think it was one of those shows with mediums, like kind of like Long Island Medium, but it wasn't oh, her. Monica the medium. Uh huh. Yep. And basically, she said that before you enter this life, you form contracts. You choose your parents. You Basically form contracts for, hey, these are going to be my best friends and, you know, yeah. these are the parents that I choose, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, because she was like, it's cool to think that our souls chose each other. Yeah. So, I mean, this kind of goes in line with that. Or maybe she just read the same website that I'm reading. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Okay, so it says, for example, let's say the soul wants to experience being compassionate towards children. The soul may decide that... a the life to come should include its own childhood experience of abandonment of a mother. Ooh. This would help drive the personality in the adult life to want to help abandon children. Another soul will then agree out of love to be the mo- to be the mother who abandons this soul in childhood. Mm. But now at the time that this is happening, you're not like Oh, okay. She abandoned me because her soul. Like you're not thinking this, right? This you're is not, like a pre-negotiated, yeah, kind of thing. You don't. We don't know what our souls have signed the contract and shit. Because our soul did not read the fine print. Exactly. So most major events in life are pre-planned. So the birth, the family, the school, the relationships, the career, etc. That includes death. Accidents, illnesses, all of that being pre-planned. They said, however, there's plenty of room for unplanned things to occur, but like major stuff usually is planned. It does say that the choices we make on the ground matter more than destiny. So can you change destiny? I don't think so. I feel like, because I do believe things are pre-planned before even reincarnation, just thinking like, God or whoever knew what was going to happen anyway. So, like, if you were supposed to die on August the 8th, if you didn't get in that car that you were supposed to crash on, like, you could die of a heart attack then. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you're supposed to die on that day. But maybe not how you're supposed to because of the choices you made. Okay. 
If that makes sense, mm-hmm. that's how I feel about that. I don't know. So, like, we can't change destiny, but we can take the long way around it or, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like multiple paths. Yeah. Okay, so number eight said there is a law of karma and it's a whole lot of stuff, but it says that if soul A kills soul B in one lifetime, then in a later lifetime, soul B will kill soul A and that's the effect of karma. Okay. Instead of being like, how I feel like the other website described it of bad karma, you could end up being... Like, lesser thing, like a braid, braid, a blade of grass. Mm-hmm. But this one's saying that's not karma, really. It's more like an eye for an eye mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, like, if you... It's ki- more like you reap what you sow kind of thing. Yeah, like you kill someone, someone's going to kill you. But is it that always that other person? I don't know. I don't know. Number nine. We're getting there, peeps. Reincarnation has a beginning and an end. End. Okay, so it said the whole journey of evolving begins with us at a certain level and ends up when we reach another level. So it takes typically well over 100 lifetimes. Jeez. Mm-hmm. It said from the first human life to the last requires thousands of years, depending on the availability of physical bodies. I wonder if it's sped up then as the population's grown. Ooh, shit. Number 10 is there's no urgency, which we said before. You're not going to get better if you rush through things. Like, it doesn't work like that. It said, I thought this was funny. The physical world is not a hellhole to be climbed out of. Yes, it is. And I'm like, er. I don't know what life you live in then. Right? Can we switch? Like, I. It's almost like. Maslow's self-actualization. Like, you remember, like, back in psychology, the pyramid? Did you have to look I had to make up? sure it was Maslow. Oh. <laughs> I thought it was, but I just had to make sure. But I was texting Lillian back, too. Though. Okay. Sorry. But I ahead. just had to double-check that it was Maslow's hierarchy. Okay. Yeah. Like, like that Maslow's hierarchy of need where you start out lower and, like, you're building to reach this understanding yeah. of everything. And so it's almost like that's what your soul's yeah. trying to do. They probably got that from their past life. Well, yeah. I mean, truly, though. I mean, because I feel like theories and concepts like that build on so many things from so many different understandings of, again, different religions, different cultures, different everything that looks at. Because that, that hierarchy, that pyramid of things fits us here in America. It fits people who were in seven thousand bc or you know whatever (laughs) and so it's like yeah it it does describe you know i don't know it was just kind of like a damn yeah you you i reached another plane (laughs) take that i'm not coming back as another mosquito damn that means don't dial me right now i need a (laughs) co-host marley you're up yeah but i mean you just like connected that with you know like something that would help you understand or all it means is Scientology is real, and we just have to read Octave 8 or whatever it's called. <laughs> True. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. It's not. They're in a cult. <laughs> Signs that you have been reincarnated. Having reoccurring dreams. Check. 
Okay. And it says, it's common to have dreams of places, people, or animals you have never met and activities you have never done. So check. Check, 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 and check. Being insightful and accurate. It says, the experience of past lives help you to know better what can and will happen and pay close attention to it. Check. Mm -hmm. Having a high level of empathy. Because you lived so many lives, you yeah. understand different perspectives. I swear. I was thinking that earlier, too. And I was like, I wonder if people who are more closed off or more have, like, just an inability to. It's black or white. Yeah. And just to see, like, where someone's coming from yeah. if they are a younger soul. Yeah. Okay. We'll check because I think I can do that. Yeah. I feel like I'm tooting my own horn with these last two checks. <laughs> I think the only one I check on is the empathy. You're insightful. Mm, I mean, I'm accurate, but not insightful. I can just know that's a bad decision. And she will fucking tell you. Uh, if you and make a bad decision, I will be I like, told you so. Told you so. Now you can come cry on me. But. She's like Grace's mom on Will and Grace. Told you so. Told you so. Told you so. I am. I. You can ask. Tiffany or Carrie. But that's what I have to say. Uh, listen to me then and you won't have to hear I told you so. You can hear you're welcome. Okay. Being a complete bitch. Check. Check. No. <laughs> no. Okay. So keeping a low profile. The experience has led you to be a quiet, eccentric person who always knows how to keep calm during discussions and arguments. No. No. I, I will say, say, I will say, with age, I have calmed way the fuck down. Yes. But also, you do, you have grown to where you are better at seeing both sides and knowing, like, okay, Because I've I'm lived just, more life experiences. Yeah. Now, you know? Yeah. It's like, I've lived enough places, I've met enough people who are different from me to be able to do that. Yeah. So, that's like a... <laughs> The ink kind of ran out, but it's there. The indention on the paper is there. Okay. It's like when you didn't know the answer. So in the Scantron, you just like filled it all, but then you erased some just mm -hmm. to see. Didn't anyone else do that? No, actually, I didn't. That gives me anxiety. <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta try it all. to cheat the system mm -mm. when you can. Mm -mm. That gave me anxiety just hearing you say that. <laughs> Pick an answer. <laughs> Okay, let's see. In appearance, having premonitory dreams. So it says people who have been reincarnated often have dreams in which they foresee events to come. No, I don't have that. Maturity is not a problem. People. Well, that's a lie. About the things to come. Well, only once. Like, like I had a dream that my friend was pregnant and she was. Oh, true. Yeah. You know, so not really, but it's an indented paper on that yeah. one too. Okay. I feel like we're doing a... Uh, I'm a changeling. <laughs> no, we know for sure that. But I feel like we're doing a Cosmo. Yeah. Like, this guy likes you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. So it said people who have been reincarnated are usually balanced in their work and professional... No, in personal life. Oh, that ain't me. Mm-mm. Like, not at all. <laughs> but I feel like that just means you're, at your age, you're doing... I love that when we do these, like, fake Cosmo quizzes... About, like, am I changeling or am I uh, reincarnated? Uh -huh. Like, we always do it on me. Because <laughs> <laughs> you are out of this world. Oh, God. But I feel like <laughs> you have a lot of these checks, too. I don't think so. But it's because 
just got to figure the fuck you are. You got to figure the fuck I am? Uh-huh. Okay. I got to figure which, uh, whatever, sentence structure. <laughs> um. <laughs> If you haven't skipped forward yet, now's the time. Yeah. <laughs> Skip forward 15 seconds while Donna tries to do English. <laughs> okay. So it says having an, having an affinity for certain people, cultures, or eras. So it's, it says, surely it's happened to you feeling an, an inexplicable love towards an era, a person of the past, a country, a culture. And this can be from you being reincarnated. Maybe you lived in Spain, but you just like have, or I feel like that's with like New York or something where someone's like, I have to go to New York. This is what I'm going to mm-hmm. do. And it's like, it's just in their soul, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, maybe they were whatever. The in Broadway New York. star of the 1700 yeah. BC. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, that's, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But also, I feel like this is with Tiffany a lot because she's an old soul, we mm-hmm. say. And she loves, like, I don't even know what era, but, I mean, it's like, she loves it from, like, hell. 60s, 50s, 40s, 20s. But if you look at how a soul comes back, you can't really count that then. Because it's not long enough ago. True. It would have to be like, I really wanted to churn butter in the 1800s. Well, she does. She loves that kind of stuff, too. But you know what I'm saying, though? Yeah. Like, you, it can't be like, because when you were reading that, I was like, huh? thinking about that, too. I was like, is it, you can't be like, oh, God, I was born in the wrong decade, because. Yeah. Well, on some things you could, if you were that skipper in line. True. Okay, this one. Now, this one is me. I check, 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 check. Check it out. Sorry. Having unjustified fears and phobias. <laughs> Humans experience fear in different situations. However, if you have phobias or terror to something that has not given any reason to fear it, that could be a symptom. That is like hard. Yes, yes, yes. X mm-hmm. marks a spot for me. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I was going to say fear of being fucking abandoned. Y'all, every time, like, she'd go to the bathroom and be like, y'all aren't going to leave me, right? Oh, look, you know, no, you know why I have that? Because when I was a toddler, mm-hmm. taking a nap in my... When you were a young warthog. warthog <laughs> I was, like, two or three, and my oldest sister, Christy, was babysitting me. <laughs> we were the only two at the house, and her best friend, her name was, like... It doesn't matter. Go ahead. But anyway, her best friend lived in the neighborhood, and so... I was taking a nap, and Christy just needed to run over to go get, like, a jean jacket or something so (laughs) she could wear that night. So she's like, I'll just run over there while Carrie's sleeping. Well, she did, and I fucking woke up. And they say that when— You smelled coffee. Oh, God. (laughs) That when she got home, I was, like, sitting in the recliner, like, crying because nobody was there. So now, if I get out of the car or something to go to the bathroom and nobody else says, I'm like, do not fucking leave me. <laughs> she really does. And that just makes me want to leave her even more. Which gives me even more anxiety because I'm like, she's going to fucking do it. <laughs> it's oh, not, God. I don't, don't do it. Don't leave me. On this, it's like a scientific study of reincarnation. But it says, for example, if two souls have been together, perhaps as a mother and daughter said. 
What? I'm just thinking, how do you do a scientific study on? Girl, I don't know. Okay, so as a mother and daughter set, they might wish to relive that experience, but reverse. Reverse, reverse. <laughs> Take it back now, y'all. I feel, oh my God, I feel like we're playing fucking skip, not skipo, uno. No, reverse, yeah. reverse. Draw two, draw four. And skip. it's usually on fucking me. Okay, so it's, there's a spirit, <laughs> no, I mean, there's a spirit, but there's a book called Spirit Babies, How to Communicate with the Child You're Meant to Have, okay? So it's a collection of stories from people who have spent decades connecting with people, connecting people with their unborn children, it says. And so it's, this is not the scientific study. This is a book. Okay. Don't be looking at me like. It's very hooky. Yes. But. Hokey? Hokey. <laughs> it's very hookah. I did it um, all for the hooky. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn, you did Limp Biscuit last I Apparently I'm obsessed with Fred Durst. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So it says, okay, so it says, of course, parents also have a significant influence as to which soul joins their family through conception. Our daily thoughts, desires, purposes create a beacon for souls who respond to these energies. This is particularly true for the mom because while you're carrying the baby, what it's saying to you is like, it's still unsure once it's here. Like, you know what I mean? Like the baby, how I take it, and this might be completely wrong, but like the baby doesn't have a soul just yet is how this is saying. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it said particularly true for the mother because obviously babies mm -hmm. with her. And it said during the gestation period, it's like a magnet to souls. And so her inner thoughts and daily activities, it kind of creates like that magnetism for like, okay, I'm looking for this. And if you're like a negative person and you're not taking care of your, like, then they'd be like, hey, I wanted that terrible life. Yeah. I'm going to choose her. Yeah. Or I need someone who's nurturing and blah, blah, blah. And you're the one who's like reading and putting your headphones on. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, But here's my question, though. If it was already like a... Unless I'm putting, like, the Monica the Medium with this, that it was, like, a pre-negotiated kind of thing. So, never mind. Well, it could be, like, because you could be best friend or not best friends, but you could be together, but you could be a baby and it could be the neighbor. But I'm saying true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It would just be at different points. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Because, I mean... I mean, me and you are the same age, but me and Tiffany and, you know, like, she's older yeah. and stuff. So, I mean, she came into this world. <laughs> she's <with> older. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Than us. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. No, it was a joke. So, it says, as far as families with more than one child, souls also make uh, contracts and agreements with their potential siblings, like... I need to be born first. I yeah. want to do this. I want to, like, take care of you. I want to be Christy, and I want to abandon you. 
<laughs> Go get a jean jacket. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Debt bitch. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Anyway, so this could be triggering to some people. So just a fair warning. Trigger warning. Has to do with birth. Okay. So please fast forward. Seriously, like 30 seconds. It's it's a short thing, but it was interesting to me. Okay. Okay. So in the case of a miscarriage, this person who wrote this book said that they've noticed that particular soul often comes in through a later pregnancy if the opportunity is presented. Hmm. And also that they've seen an instance where a miscarried child from one woman went to be born into her best friend's family. And so it was still close to that soul that they had, but it was, they both had to have that experience. Yeah. So they had that short life, but then was able to come back. Right. As that child and still maintain togetherness, you know, like just did a different thing. Like it's like the friendly aunt. Right. You know what I mean? But the thing about coming at a later, in a later child and stuff, like, I don't know. That's just comforting to me. I mean, I'm, I have no, what is it? Like hat in the race? race. Yeah. Hat in the race. Good Lord. Hat in the ring. Yeah. Dogs in this race. (laughs) Hmm. English. Again, but I don't know, like, that was just really cool to me to think of. You still get the soul that your life was destined to have received. Yeah, yeah. But you've had these life experiences that you needed Mm -hmm. in order to get that soul. And yeah, I don't know. And I feel like through this, I'm not saying that everything I do is because of my soul and Blah, 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 blah. Like, I'm not giving it, I guess, that power or whatever. I have to take responsibility and stuff. But it's kind of soothing. Like, for me, with my mom, like, that was such a hard thing. My sister, like, she was, like, my second mother. And, but it's, like, I had to have that. And I see that, though, even, like, we've talked about it. I thought I would be a mess of a human and like really thought I couldn't get through that. And I did Mm -hmm. and I'm stronger and I've now been able to connect with people that I didn't think I could, but we have that in common and we can understand each other Mm -hmm. and whatever. And I'm like here for other people who will have that experience at some other point that I I'm empathetic. I actually know how this feels. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like, it was destined. Like, she had to be that person to me. Mm -hmm. And I had to be that person to her. And so it's like, I don't know. You know what I mean? And, like, we came to that point where we did what we needed to do for each other. Right. So, I don't know. And so, I've never been pregnant, never lost a child or anything, but I feel like to know that how I feel about my mom to put that in, I know it's not the same, but to put that in, to feel like, yeah, it's, there's a purpose. Right. 
and that it you can get past just feeling the pain and like know that like I said there is a purpose for it and though it's gonna hurt and it's gonna be fucking terrible and miserable and you're able you know you're allowed to feel however you're gonna feel but I don't know it's I don't know I just feel like it gave you a bit of comfort yeah and hopefully if you didn't skip through it it gave you some too yes it also said and I we talked about this, that we chose each other to be friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it said it's empowering to and so very touching for me to know that my family members and I chose each other. Mm-hmm. I feel very honored that my daughter chose me. What a gift she's given me in this lifetime. And it's like, that's so beautiful to yeah. me. And I, I don't know. So, again, it just makes me feel better about life that... As bleak as your life may may be, like, it's possible that it's all for a purpose, but the souls of these people, they have the best of intentions mm-hmm. together. You mm-hmm. know, like, on a whole different, like, world, y'all were one before. Right. You know, and so, I don't know. It's just a beautiful thing for me to think about. Yeah. So, that was the highly edited cliff notes poorly read by donna no not coming to a bookstore near you (laughs) (laughs) but okay so now we're going into some stories okay this was in reader's digest so you know it's legit (laughs) (laughs) it's also in teenage no what is it ninja turtles no, the soup for the... Oh, chicken soup for the teenage soul. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Did... Please let me know who was obsessed with those books, because I was. We like, couldn't afford them. Obsessed. Adam for everything. And what's funny is my vet has one on the little magazine rack in the... Um, what do you call it? Um, Lobby? No. Like the room. The treatment room? Yeah, the treatment room. And it says the chicken soup for the dog lover soul. I'm not reading it because you know it's some sad shit up in there. I don't. I don't remember. Like I remember having friends who had it, and like I wanted one, but like we couldn't afford yeah. it. But I do remember the church we went to as a kid. They had a library there, and I think there was like a chicken soup for the Christian soul or something yeah. like that that I would like thumb through. Tiffany had a lot of them. I feel like she had a lot of them. She's probably like, no, the fuck I didn't. But she did. Um, <laughs> I had like two maybe. But like, you know, and then we like shared them and mm-hmm. stuff. But I loved it because I've always, well, then more so than now, but like a reader and just a, yes, like, I love, I don't know. I was an old soul back then. Now I have regressed. Mm-hmm. Fucking Benjamin, Benjamin Button. Button. Yep. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Okay. So, names have been changed to protect identity. Yada, yada. Okay. So, imagine you are changing your baby's diaper. Grossed out to the max. No, just me. So, and then the baby, or the kid, because he talks. Um, But the kid says, when I was your age, I changed your diaper. What? Mm-hmm. And so the dad is like, 
Okay. Because this kid, like, has turned two. Mm -hmm. Like, barely two. And he was like, that was strange, but I probably misheard him. Because I'm sure it wasn't, like, as clear as that. Like, Luke, I am your father. Yeah. But then over the next few months, baby Sam made similar remarks. And so Ron and Kathy were like, okay, he thinks he is my deceased grandfather. I mean, his deceased grandfather. So Ron's father. Mm -hmm. And so Kathy and Ron were like, okay, Sam, how did you come back? You know, like, after you figured out what he's saying, like, of course you're going to quiz him to make him be like, to stomp him. Yeah. So you can be like, all right, bye. You know, boy, bye. So he said, I just went whoosh and came out of a portal. And it said, although he was a precocious child, he had been speaking in full sentences from the age of 18 months. His parents were stunned to hear him say a word like portal. Yeah. Like, how do they? Right. How does he know that? Like, you know Dora the Explorer don't go through no portal. Right. Just her backpack. <laughs> and the map. Yes. Okay. So so they were like, all right, well, did you have any siblings? And he said he had a sister who turned into a fish. And they're like, who turned into a who turned her into a fish? And he said, some bad some bad guys. She died. And eerily enough, Ron's father had a sister who had been murdered 60 years earlier, and her body was found floating in San Francisco Bay. What? Mm-hmm. So Ron and Kathy were like, do you know how you died? And Sam jerked back and slapped the top of his head as in pain. And one year before Sam was born, his grandfather had died of a cerebral hemorrhage. Damn. Yeah, so that was that little story, which is super fucking crazy. Yeah. I had a sister who turned into a fish, and then it's like, how does he know that? There's no way he would know that. Right. I mean, he's fucking two. Okay. So this one said, Mommy, I'm so homesick. That's what this little story was. There is an Oklahoma boy named Ryan, and he was four. He woke up at 2 in the morning, and he had been pleading with his mom, Cindy, to take him to the house where he lived before. So, in tears, he begged her to return him to his glittering life in Hollywood. And uh, he said he had a big house, a pool, and fast cars. And he said, that was so fabulous. I can't live in these conditions. My last home was much better. Damn. <laughs> So when Cindy went into her son's room that night that he woke up, he kept repeating the same words, Mommy, I'm so homesick. And as she tried to comfort him and rock him to sleep, he was like, she said, he was like a little old man who couldn't remember all the details of his life. So like he was frustrated and sad. Yeah. They were looking at something and it came, it was a photo from a 1932 film, and the boy was like, that's me. That's the own me. And so the next morning, she went to the library, borrowed a pile of fucking books of old Hollywood, which, can I have those books? Because that would be awesome. Brought them home, and so she put Ryan in her lap, and she's like, let's go through. You know, let's 
look and see because, well, she's probably like, let's get this over with. Yeah. Either we find you and whatever, or you're going to get tired and be like, okay, go play, be, be Ryan. Have you told me this story before? I know this story. Uh, I mean, it's probably like, I mean, it's well known. Okay. So he became more excited as he looked at one particular book. It was a steal from a, from a scene from a 1932 movie called Night After Night. So he like stopped her and was like, Mama, that guy, he is me. And she said that she was shocked. She never thought we'd find the person he thought he was. But neither Sydney or her Cindy, again, didn't say the fucking D. Cindy and her husband didn't believe in reincarnation. She went back to the library the next day, checked out a book about children who possess memories of their past lives. And so at the end, it was a note from Professor Jim Tucker, who's like a doctor. And he said, like, he wants to hear from people whose kids have these. So she's like, let me write him a letter. Mm -hmm. So she wrote him a letter, and he met with Ryan. And turns out that Ryan was a Hollywood agent, Marty Martin, who had made an unbilled cameo in Night After Night. So, like, was not listed in that. He was just like an extra, basically, you know, in that picture. So after... They got this information. They contacted Martin's daughter. She was still alive. And she met with Dr. Tucker, Ryan, and Cindy. And along with public records, she confirmed more than 50 details that Ryan had reported about her father's life. From his work history to the, to the location and contents of his home, Cindy felt tremendous relief. Because it matched, and, like, he's not crazy. Right. You know, that he had a different family. Like, he's from whatever. Like, how would he know, like, the contents of his home? Right. That's not something that even if you could Google all about this man, that would be on Yeah. There. Yeah. That's just crazy. And, like, this is his daughter. It's not like, you know, oh, we Googled it, and that's what came right. up. Like, right. So, Dr. Tucker, he said that through his collection of these stories, he sees that children usually begin talking about their previous lives when they're two or three years old and stop by the age of six or seven. He said that's around the same time that we lose all our memories from early childhood. So, I feel like that is, one, of course, children know things and see things that we don't. Mm-hmm. But then that's how we become who we are. Like, we don't, we're not, they, they're, like, impulsive and they know, like, no, I'm so-and-so, whatever. And, like, doing this, we lose that. And so we don't think we've been reincarnated and we were whoever in the past life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're just living our life now. So, I mean, it makes sense. And then those people who get deja vu... It's just like a glimpse of this. Yeah. Also, children's birthmarks are in some cultures known as their death marks. And like one boy recalled being shot. He possessed two birthmarks. One 
over his left eye and a small round one in the back of his head, which lined up with the bullet's entrance and exit wounds of who he said he was in a past life. Wow. So I was shot in the shot or stabbed in the stomach. <laughs> Could be. And on the side of the leg. Yep. Okay, this one is called Plane on Fire. Okay, so in 2002, Dr. Tucker was contacted to appear on a show about reincarnation. The program never aired, it said. But it was about a little boy, four years old, from Louisiana. He thought he was once a World War II pilot who had been shot down over Iwo Jima. Okay. So he was two, and he woke up from a nightmare yelling, airplane crash, plane on fire, little man can't get out. And he also knew details about a World War II aircraft that would seem impossible for a toddler to know. Yeah. For instance, uh, Andrea, his mom, referred to an object on the bottom of a toy plane as a bomb, and he corrected her by saying it was a drop tank. Damn. Yeah. And another time they were watching a History Channel documentary, and the narrator called a Japanese plane a zero. And James was like, it was a Tony, and in both cases, he was right. So he said he had been named James in his previous life and that he had flown off a ship called the Natoma. And so they discovered a World War II aircraft carrier called the USS Natoma Bay. And it in its squadron was a pilot named James Huston, who had been killed in action over the Pacific. So James talked on and on about his plane crashing and he was like disturbed by nightmares about it for like several days a week so she contacted a past life therapist carol bowman for help and she said don't dismiss what he's saying and assure him that whatever happened occurred in another life another body mm-hmm. you know, he's safe now and andrea followed her advice and jane's dreams diminished it's like, how did he know all of that? Right. Like. There's no way. There's no way. Right. Even if he was obsessed with planes. I mean, the idea that. A two-year-old could retain that information. Yeah. No way. So, okay. It said, it said, although his parents insisted that they never watched World War II documentaries or talked about military history, we do know that at 18 months of age, James was taken to a flight museum where he was fascinated by the World War II planes. In all probability, the additional details were, oh, this, sorry, (laughs) I skipped the most important word. What this doctor, I mean, sorry, Professor French said is that, that it's, that he was taken to a flight museum when he was 18 months old and that his parents could unintentionally have told him about this and that they contacted the therapist who wanted to believe in reincarnation right. and this all happened. But it's like, okay, here's the thing. He's two. Right. You're not going to be able to feed him these lines that he's just going to say, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, there's no way. Okay, so this one, so two sisters killed in a car accident. They were reincarnated as twins. What? Yeah. So their parents were, I'm just going to kind of like go through this one. But 
Their parents were devastated when their twin daughters died in a car accident on May 5th, 1957. Mm-hmm. The following year, they were expecting. And once again, she was carrying twins. So they were born identical except for Jennifer's birthmarks. She had a birthmark on her waist similar to the birthmark Jacqueline had, who was one of the twins who died. And then a birthmark on her forehead that resembled one of Jacqueline's scars. So like two distinctive marks. And they moved away from their old home when their daughter was when their daughters were three months old. They didn't talk really about their deceased sisters or anything. Right, right. But they would request old toys that had belonged to the, to the deceased twins, and they recognized landmarks when traveling to their parents' former home. Dang. And they were terrified of cars. Like, upon seeing oncoming traffic, they would shriek, the car is going to get us. How did they die again? From a car accident. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. It said, luckily by the age of five, the frightening memories mostly faded away and they lived a relatively normal adult lives. But it's still like one story that is frequently told in reincarnation. Okay, so this one is going to blow your mind. If those blew your mind, this one's going to like kaboom your mind. Okay, hit me. Okay. So... There was this doctor who was investigating a three-year-old boy who claimed to have remembered a past life. And in that life, he remembered being struck by a big blow to the head with an axe and having a long red birthmark on his head. The present-day boy, who whose name's not mentioned, yeah, also had the birthmark in the exact same spot. And so the boy's father and some more relatives and the village decided to go to the neighboring community to see if his past life identity could be established. They visited a lot of villages, and the boy remembered the right one. Like He was like, hey, this is it. So he remembered his own first and last name, as well as the first and last name of his murderer. What? Yeah. So, he, like, went to his home and was like, this is where I lived, you know? Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Then, a neighbor, like, a neighbor came out, and he was kind of acting a little shifty, and the kid was like, I know you. And he was like, what? No. Me? Never. And he was like, yeah, I used to be your neighbor, and we had a fight, and you killed me. (gasps) Yeah. And so, that neighbor was like... Fuck. Like, went white as a sheet because, like, what How What do you know? do? Yeah. yeah. And then the kid said, I even know where you hid my body. What? Mm-hmm, because his, his past life, he was never found. So the boy led the group, which included the accused murderer, into the fields that were located nearby. Then he stopped in front of a pile of stones and was like, he buried my body under these stones and the axe is over there. Holy shit. Yep. So they dug up, you know, the spot and revealed the skeleton of an adult man wearing the clothes of a farmer. And on the skull, they observed a linear split consistent with an axe wound. Wow. Like, what? (laughs) Wow. Like, move over, Columbo. This three-year-old's 
doing your fucking job. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, crazy. When I read that, I was like, fuck, this guy's badass. Yeah. So what happened? Well, it doesn't say. I'm sure that God did nothing because they can't prove it. It's a three-year-old. True. (laughs) Then there's, like, I think the most notorious, famous, most talked about, the reincarnation of Jenny Cockle. She lived in Northamptonshire, but she was a mother of two children and, like, just ordinary. Then, over the years, she began to believe that she lived before, but she was an Irish woman named Mary Sutton, who was born in 1897. But she found that this Mary Sutton had children living in Ireland. Her story starts just before her fourth birthday, and she just started remembering all of these things from Mary's past life. And so the feelings never really left her. And so she she decided to draw a map where she believed that these strange things were happening. Like, she knew it was in Ireland. She felt like saying, I felt so sad that I had to leave them. I realized that I had to go back. So I got out the map and just kept pointing to Ireland. And after a while, I was drawn to a place called Malahide. Sure. Don't know. I'm sure it's something fancy, and I forked it up. But she was like, I just knew this was my hometown. So, like, life got in the way, blah, blah, blah. But a few years later, she got married and had her own children. And so the memories surfaced again, but this time they were stronger because, you know, she's had that maternal-ness happen. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to track down Mary's family in Ireland. So, I mean, she can. She contacted a hypnotist to help her get these uh, memories out and yeah. everything. So, so she found a real map of that Malahide, and it was really similar to the one she had drawn herself. So she was like, okay. This is where I'm going to find them. She arrived there, which is north of Dublin, and she wanted to check out any records. And so it was a church record that she found. And it showed that there had been a Mary Sutton who had lived and died there, and her eight children had been left to various relatives, and some had been placed in orphanages. Oh, God. So she was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to get in touch with the local newspaper And write letters to all the churches to find out as much as she could. So she, like, with the help of foster homes and all of these people, like, she had contacted, she started locating the surviving children. And before she met the children, she subjected herself to questioning by a BBC researcher just to make sure that it matched up with what the members were saying. Mm -hmm. And so she told researchers about her family home, the kind of sewing thread that she had used, even small things like when the children had caught a live hare in a trap. Like H-A-R-E. Yeah. (laughs) So then after her interview, she came face to face with Sonny, Mary's son, for the first time. 
So in 1990, Sonny Sutton, he picked up the phone, listened to the most amazing story he's ever heard. And when he put the phone down, his wife was like, you look like you've seen a ghost. And he turned to her and was like, I've been talking to my mother. What? And so the rest of Mary's family were not easily convinced. Yeah. So they were raised Catholic. And so they were like unsettled by this and saying, at most, it could be Mary talking through Jenny. But that's not the same person. But Mary knew the pictures on the wall, what was in the house, how it was built. It was unbelievable, you know. And so she was like, I know that. Mammy passed her soul over to this unborn person. There was a 21-year age gap between the year that Mary died and Jenny was born. But it turns out Jenny is a member of Mensa. I'm like, she's not an ordinary person. Right. Okay? Like, she's not. But it's just so crazy that she had this throughout her life remembering these memories and finally sought out this and her children had been separated and lost contact with each other for nearly 60 years holy fuck and so she basically reunited this family and so they were like we're never going to be separated separated again and so it's like whether you believe in reincarnation or not, like she reunited this family and it's again like the Mary felt so terrible for dying that she basically jumped in line almost and came back and finally got her family back together. And that's crazy. Yeah. So that is it for my Cliff Notes Highly abridged version of reincarnation. Oh, hold on. I did read something, and I feel like this could be its own topic, so everyone's going to groan and be like, oh, my God, I have to hear about this again. But you might. No, not really. But maybe in another life. Uh, See what I did there? Damn. (laughs) Sorry. And I'm not reading. I did not write that joke down. It just came (laughs) off my head. You're so witty. (laughs) But... It did say that people can be reincarnated in animals. And so it was like, if you feel like your dog is your best friend or your loved one and you just Mm -hmm. have this connection, it is possible that their soul has passed to your animal. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that means that dogs really do have souls. Thank you, and good night. (laughs) Wow, that was a lot. It was. I mean, like, not like, oh, my God, your story was not, but, like, the the information was a lot. Yeah. Did you like it, though? Yeah, I don't know where I stand, but I did like it. I mean, because I can see both sides. And, again, it's like, with stuff like this, I feel like whatever religion you are, you could argue, like, Yes or no to all of these things that yeah. are not quite understood, but especially reincarnation. Because you have religions that fully believe it. You have religions that say they don't, but they also believe in an afterlife of spirituality and you know, yeah. yada, yada, yada. And so, yeah, it's a hard one. It is. It's so interesting. 
And I think it's, I believe in it, one, because I like to romanticize things. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, it gives me comfort and connects certain things with me. And so maybe I believe it more because I'm grasping for those things. But I do believe in an afterlife and I do believe in, you know, different things. So... I don't know, these people's stories, hearing these crazy, crazy things, I can't explain it. And it's almost like when people are like, you believe in Teresa Caputo? And I'm like, I can't explain how she knows certain things. And so, therefore, since I cannot understand it, it's it's real to me in that sense of, I mean, I can't. You know what I mean? It's like just some of the shit, yeah, there's the internet, but there's only so much you can right. learn. And especially given the times in which some of this stuff happened. Yeah. Like there wasn't there wasn't internet to look that shit up. Yes. I don't know. So, I mean, I, I really like it. Yeah, I did too. Okay, so what did we learn this week? Okay. I learned. Number one. Number one. When you have been in the hospital sick. And you get better, and then you come home, and you eat something that somebody fed you, and you get sick again. They're fucking poisoning you. Yes. I don't understand. These people try to reason it away way too often. She would never try to... Yes, she would. If you want to get a divorce, she doesn't want to get a divorce. Mm-hmm. There's that. And they already clearly have some mental illness issues yes. happening, you know, just from their behaviors throughout. Yes. Um, they're fucking poisoning you. Yes. Like, come on. Listen to our podcast. We will teach you the ways, people. Yep. Number two. Be careful who you fuck over because they may be your mom in the next life. Damn. Damn. They your mom's son. <laughs> oh, God. No, that's true, though. And also, I mean, not as funny as yours is, but, like, just think about your friends and the ones who you're close to. And, I don't know, just think about it that y'all chose each other. Yeah, that's a good three. Oh, that's a three? Yeah, that's a good three. Okay. Yeah, like, we we are connected in ways in which we may not even fully, in, or we don't fully understand. And you feel special connections to Certain people that, you know, you may not understand or you may not, yeah. I don't know. Because I feel like even, like, us as best friends, people who don't have best friends don't understand our friendship. Yeah, our you codependency. Know? Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know. I, so I feel like, yeah, yeah, whatever you just said a second ago was really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. What she said. <laughs> Yeah. Just appreciate the people who are in your lives and know that even though times may be really hard and you may hate certain people even that are in your lives, they're in your life for a reason. Yes. To help you learn and grow and become better, no matter how hard or easy it is. Very true. All right. On that note, so if you've had any of these experiences like deja vu or you're like, holy shit, I have some of those things that make me... A changeling or wrong episode, (laughs) (laughs) reincarnated, or, you know, just anything like that, that you've had these, like, kind of what feel like supernatural, paranormal type experiences, 
anything like that, don't forget to send them in to us. We love doing the Sinister Sightings episodes with y'all's stories. Y'all are amazing. We love getting them. Keep sending them our way to our email address. Also, though, if you feel like you've been poisoned, we want to know that, too. Oh, true, true, true. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, send it to our email address, aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and don't don't get scared. scared.